hang on. I, I didn't record a new episode, did I? Unless this is episode 15, part 2? But then, where am I and what's... Oh, ah! everybody and welcome to another episode of Frightful Failures. I am your ghost host with the most, Zach Romero. Joining me, as always, is your ghost host with the most, Tien Guignol. And Tien, I don't want to freak you out with my sudden psychic abilities, but I I feel a presence in this room. Oh my gosh. I, I You know, I think I'm feeling something as well. I mean... There's there's something, and it's it's almost like this ghostly mist has just seeped into the room, and it smells kind of like what is that? It smells like it smells like horror nights. Oh my god, that that's what we forgot, Zach. We forgot all about Halloween horror nights. Oh, you're right. You're right. We got it all tangled up in our own little life stories and events that we we forgot about the premier haunt. In our state. Oh, God. Okay. I think this is bad, man. I think that, that this this fog that we're seeing in the room, I think this is something come to visit us to, to, to make us atone for our sins of forgetting to talk about Halloween Horror Nights. I think... Do, do you hear something? Good evening. I am Christopher Ripley, and I am also the ghost of Halloween Horror Nights Past. Oh! Christopher Ripley, and also the ghost of Halloween Horror Nights Past. Uh, you wait, aren't you also the author of Halloween Horror Nights Unofficial, the story and guide updated annually? Uh, I am, yes, as well as a few other things, but yes, mostly that is. And that smell that you can smell is actually my cologne. Oh, oh wow. I, I need to get some of yeah, that, yeah. actually. That's wonderful. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's a mixture of pine wood, sweat, tears, and a little bit of dry ice. Oh, Excellent. wow. Fabulous. And hopefully non-toxic. <laughs> I, I, one yeah. can only hope. <laughs> well, Christopher, um, thank you for, for, for joining us here in, in, in the spookly state. Uh, as you heard, we've... We've made a big oopsie, and we forgot to talk about Halloween Horror Nights in our big retrospective about haunted attractions. And uh, I get the feeling here you're you're here to lead us on the way to uh, hopefully redemption. <laughs> well, I can definitely try. That's for sure. Well, excellent. Well, then I figure there's no better place to start than the beginning. So, for those of us who aren't aware, if you can give just a little taste of kind of the inception of Horror Nights to, to really turn back the clocks all the way, which seems to be your special ability here, all the way to 1991. <laughs> you want to go? You, you don't want to go to before 1991. Oh well, well that works to too. Yeah. Hey, please start where you you're you're the ghost. Please. Okay. Well, it, it was a hot summer in 1958. Ooh. And <laughs> <laughs> we're going real back. <laughs> well, the thing is, Universal, obviously, they've had a very long history with, uh, with horror, going back way, way, way back, even before the 50s. And um, it, it became uh, sort of in that sort of time period. I think possibly Halloween sort of blossomed perhaps in the States in the 50s, but the the back lot got used um, as well as other places in Hollywood for a lot of different Halloween based parties. 
Um, and no less a man that was based at the back lot towards the end of the 50s was Alfred Hitchcock. And he became quite famous within his friend circle of putting on these fantastic uh, Halloween parties. And sometimes they occurred on the back lot. Anyway, skip forward past that to um, the 70s and 80s, and they did start to hold uh, more informal Halloween events in the studio, but they also opened them up to the public. So um, you had these very small Halloween parties that happened usually around the weekend that Halloween happened, and it would be an add-on, if you like, and not necessarily a, um, a hard ticket event extra, but it was a, a testing the water, if you like, for um, Halloween goings on for park guests to experience as well as during their day visiting what was then a, a sort of a, a very uh, immature theme park. It was more of a it still is more of a studio and a theme park with a small T. Um, and it wasn't until 87 in Hollywood, particularly where they actually held the very first horror nights and it didn't go over very well um <laughs> there was a few mistakes and i can get into that if you want me to but eventually the idea did then transfer to the east coast and became horror nights well sorry fright nights and then obviously it went on to become halloween horror nights in 1991 so that's all the bit before 1991 so i do want to know because as i i would say, I'll, I'll give it a defense as with many theme parks when they first get started Things typically yeah. do not run smoothly. So in this case, it's yeah. a haunted attraction. What could possibly go wrong? Well, somebody died. This that's oh! that's the cold hard. <laughs> yeah. Someone that worked there died. He was a scare actor and he got caught under the tram. That that's the official story of why it didn't work out for the very first year in Hollywood. However, they were serving alcohol. And I've had it from a few people that there was problems with uh, gang activity in L.A. and gang activity in their theme park. So that that was, in a nutshell, why it didn't work out in Hollywood. Okay. Well, so leading up to 1991 then, um, obviously we're, we're talking a lot about, as we move towards Orlando, moving towards yeah. Fright Nights, the, what it was titled in its very first year. Um, I'm curious to know... What was it that allowed Universal to think like, well, we should probably give this one more shot at some sort of Halloween separately ticketed event because the park needs it? Well, that's it. The park needed it. Really and truly, if social media had existed back in the early 90s, then Universal may not have survived in central Florida. Um, <laughs> when it first opened, uh, you know, when it first opened in May of 1990, um the three big attractions being the confrontation, the earthquake and the Jaws ride, they were the three uh, e-ticket, if you like, uh, attractions for the whole place. They didn't work. And that, and that was a huge problem for them because they had kind of separated their marketing to make them appear to be more dynamic and more uh, for slightly older kids. They wasn't sort of a, a kiddie place. It was a place for families with older kids to go to, if anything. And these three big thrills, these big thrilling attractions, confrontation um, had to be fixed up quite regular. Earthquake had serious sort of uh, maintenance issues that required a lot of repairs doing to it. And Jaws just didn't work. They had this um, huge problem with the construction of Jaws. 
And it went on and on and on for way too long. And essentially, um, there was a scene in the ride where the shark would bite the boat and it would shake the boat with the people in it. And it, it just didn't work. The shark didn't appear. The boat didn't shake. The shark would then jump up and then go down. And it just did not work. It just was designed very, very poorly. So in order to counter all of this negative um, press, particularly because the Jaws ride in the end, they just shut they just shut it completely. They couldn't fix it. They just, just shut it. They had to try and think of something to bring people in um, to make their money up because it was getting to the point by 91 where this was making national headlines that their rides didn't work, that they needed oh to do something to attract people through the gate. I, 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 I will give kudos to that gumption to not just be like, well, why don't we, you know, really take a moment for us and just really kind of work and reevaluate and open back up. No, it's like, no, just keep tricking people. They'll get here. <laughs> they'll drink. It'll be fine. They're like, Hey, yeah, they had a couple options. They said, you know what? We gave this the old college try. We need to go back to the drawing board or like, Hey, let's, let's really shut down for a bit. Take the time, get everything seriously maintenance. And they thought, no, no, no. Just throw some fangs on it. Just bring Dracula exactly- in, get Beetlejuice in here. <laughs> That's how you solve well, the problems. Problem- <laughs> the problem was, is the Jaws attraction, which was really their centerpiece. Um, it had to be completely redesigned and rebuilt. So it was shut for, I don't know, three, four years while they did that. So they, they had to basically come up with something. And that was the that was the catalyst, if you like, that actually was the, the, the bosses of Universal saying to uh, Julie Zimmerman at the time, uh, you need to find something to bring the kids in because we've had a disastrous summer because no one's turned up because our rides aren't working properly. We need something for the fall to get more people through the gate. So I feel we'll, we'll do this quite often maybe while we're talking about the, the way, way back. Um, but in comparing to modern years, uh, a lot of the very uh, present Horror Nights fans uh, know this as an event that features a lot of haunted houses, that that is the focus. Ten haunted houses nowadays. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think that looking back on the first few years, they'll see that that was not the focus in the first years. The focus was the shows. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. And at the end of the day, they, the budget that they had been given by the higher-ups was really minimal. And, you know, they they could get shows in outside contractors, if you like. They could perform um, their set pieces. They could just pay them a fee. They haven't got to do too much with that. So, the, so that is something that is less of a concern for them. So they can bring in lots of shows, lots of... Um, uh, sort of a party atmosphere. So then their actual production budgets, they could spend elsewhere trying to decorate the, the streets. A lot of different lighting and music was put in at the time. Uh, and also dabble in this area of trying to create a haunted house, which in 1991, there was just one, which was the Dungeon of Terror. Well, I mean, so obviously the official reason why it was limited was budgetary reasons. However, hindsight if i'm looking at universal this era i don't know that i would trust them to build multiple houses at once (laughs) it's like you can't get a robot shark to bite a boat i don't know if i trust you to build a more than one haunted attraction at a time well the, the the beauty of it was back in those days obviously um the main means of communication between 
Orlando Universal and Hollywood Universal was the fax machine. And of course, we all know back in those days how sort of cumbersome that was. So a lot of stuff got sent from Hollywood to Orlando to promote films that were coming out. So, for example, it'd be very often the case that a Universal picture would be be, uh, finished its production. It would go into post-production. They would start to market the new film and all of the sets and the props from that film, as long as it wasn't something the way they had to be sort of kept for, I don't know, for some sort of larger reason, like a sequel or something. But they would send a lot of the stuff over to Orlando to exhibit to the park guests so they could say, look, oh, coming in 1993, we've got this film about dinosaurs that go on the loose in a fake theme park. You know, look at the sets and the props, you know. So um, that was a way of the marketing their pictures. Because of this sort of bad communication, this sort of cumbersome uh, way of talking to each other, the props and the sets from some of the most iconic films you can think of went to Orlando, but they never went back to Hollywood. So it kind of meant that with their very small budget, they could take stuff, and I'm talking pretty iconic stuff, that should have gone back to the Hollywood and then onto the Smithsonian Museum probably, and butcher it and put it into houses <laughs> at Halloween Horror Nights purely because their budgets were so small. So when I, when I say butcher, I mean, uh, going back to Jurassic Park just briefly then, the, the, the triceratops, you know, the, the scene with the sick triceratops laying down, mm-hmm. that was cut up into pieces and had blood put on it and, and hung up in a house in Halloween Horror Nights. <laughs> so, so you were not being uh, playful or metaphorical at all with the term butcher no. then? They were literally butchering stuff like that and using it because they didn't have the money. They didn't have the budget. Well, um, I guess then, so I'm not sure if it'd be a spoiler to say that unlike the first event in Hollywood, Orlando's first year did go over well. And they had decided, well, we need to expand. We we have to do this again and we have to make it bigger. We have to continue to uh, expand upon this. So I'm curious to know kind of uh, in talking about the first few years now, two and three and four, yeah, how those years you think sort of impacted the overall future of what this event was going to be. Well, they, the, the possibly the, biggest difference that they had back in those days was that they were trying to present uh, an adult-based party atmosphere. So their biggest rival during this period was, and I'm sure you guys know, um, Church Street Station. Um, And that was a huge attraction. And the other attraction they were trying to sort of do battle with, but to a lesser extent, was obviously Pleasure Island over where Disney Springs is. So it, it was trying to steal the people that might go to those events and bring them into Universal. So it was a much more, it wasn't, I wouldn't say now is kid friendly, but I doubt you would have had something like Stranger Things back in 1992 and three. Do you know what I mean? Fair. Right. That's fair. Yeah. No, yeah. Absolutely. So it, it was, a, there was a lot of alcohol, there was a lot of music and it's sort of like mobile DJs and, you know, you, you had slightly more, well, I don't know, the streets are pretty horrific now, but I mean, they would have, <laughs> they would they would use a lot of IP they didn't have permission to use. There we go, yes. <laughs> yeah, because social media wasn't a thing. People would take Kodak photos and put them in a drawer and they'd never be seen again. So you would have, you know, typically you'd have like Hellraiser or uh, they used to push a, a, a bed round on wheels uh, with a priest pushing it with... Um, a Reagan-esque looking girl covered in green vomit 
pretending to throw up at people as they as he pushed the bed past them. You know, all stuff they didn't have any permission for whatsoever. So it was much more going back to them stealing the props and repurposing them. They were using other people's IPs without permission. So they, it was a little bit of the Wild West, shall we say, 92 to 94. I, I again, commend them on just not even planning for, for tomorrow. Just, hey, you know what? <laughs> Guess what? This prop, it's now going in this house. Oh, we don't have permission? Guess what? I say we've got permission. It's fine. We'll just do it. Nobody snitch. Everybody be cool about this. <laughs> there were no tattletales back then. Yeah. Right. It's true. It's it's absolutely true. I mean, um, they they used um, they had the psycho house back then, and mm. the motel was still there, and they completely butchered the inside of it and extended it and put like we would call them tents now, but they kind of extended it with tops to make that into a house um, because the the theme park it wasn't really a studio but the theme park's attitude was this was used in a film they're never really going to use it again we don't use it much for shooting now so do what the hell you like with it because if it's bringing people through the door and they're paying a good price to be here then we don't care just just use it you know so there was it, it was that kind of attitude i mean also um jason sorrell who i think he works back at universal now but he, for a long time he was a disney imagineer but he got his start in his professional life if you like as a designer uh, at universal and he was working on halloween horror nights and he basically created the bill and ted's excellent halloween adventure and he he tells a, a fascinating story where he um it was so um it's so like the wild west so haphazard there was there was no legal department there was do you know what i mean it was so just do what you want sort of attitude and he, he tells a, fan, a fantastic story where They'd obviously made the Dungeon of Terror, which was their first house. They repeated that again, and they'd, they'd used the universal property, the people under the stairs in 92 and in 93. They'd obviously done this psycho house that I just mentioned. So he, he decides, because obviously they can pretty much do what the hell they like, he decides to fax uh, John Carpenter. Dear John, please may we use your film Halloween at our Halloween event in Florida. Yourson City, Jason Strail, Universal Orlando. You know, so it's... <laughs> stuff like that you know just would not happen in, in this day and age now although again at least they had the 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 co common courtesy to ask instead of and i'm and i hope he had put that in the letter like by the way just so you know you're the only one who gets this kind of like uh credence yeah. for everyone else we just took that shit yeah <laughs> well everyone else they did yeah <laughs> So uh, obviously there was a point in which they decided, okay, we're, we're no longer the underground punk scene. This is becoming huge. Right. Uh, we're no longer the yeah. clash. Like we have to, you know, we, we have to kind of sell out a little bit, even though they are universal studios. We, we, we have to try and get someone else involved in another big name horror icon. And uh, a big turning point came in year five for them in doing that. So I'm curious to hear you speak a little mm. on that. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely spot on. Year five, um, it kind of stepped up a gear, really. It, it had been a bit haphazard and a, a bit um, a bit too, I don't know, baldy, a bit drunk, a bit uh, do-what-you-like sort of thing. But by 95, they realised the value of um, the event to the park. And they also capitalised on the fact that um, people were now starting just a very early stage, just starting to plan their vacations around the event. Not many, but just a few. And it in 93, 94, they got so much money through the door um, 
which said they said, well, we should go big for 95. It's the fifth year of doing it. Let's just increase the budget ever so slightly. What can we do just to up our game and to make what we're doing completely different and a higher level, if you like, than anyone else is doing in Central Florida? So the way they did that was they pretty much got their first external IP, which was a huge coup at the time, and that was the Crypt Keeper. Now, uh, in this day and age, the Crypt Keeper is perhaps not as well known, not as well remembered as perhaps he should be. But in the mid 90s, the Crypt Keeper was just everywhere. I mean, do you guys remember the Crypt Keeper? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he was, I mean, not just um, in the US, but globally. I mean, they, they were making action figures and puppets and he, his face Cartoons, was on. You know, pinball, yeah. Exactly. Pinball machines, kids TV. You know, he, he had his own, um, not just the animated show, but he had another show where he had like the a children's game show. His, yeah, mm. that's it. The Finders Keepers thing that he was doing, which was actually shot using some of the houses from Halloween Horror Nights in 96, I believe. Um, <laughs> so it, it, the, the offering that they put out from then on, it kind of stepped above what everyone else was doing because of the budget and because of the IPs that they were just starting to attract to it. Well, first of all, I love the fact that, like, for the fifth year, they were like, look, we've been doing this five years. We haven't gone to jail yet. Let's actually put a budget <laughs> in this time and, uh, you know, try to, you know, make this into something. Yeah. Well, that's it, you know. And it, it because they had the use of the Crypt Keeper and the, the voice of John Cassier as well, um, the marketing for, for that year was just was just everywhere because they just wanted to, you know, use that uh, tremendous gain that they got by securing the character um, at the height of its popularity as well, don't forget. So it was tied in with a lot of um, TV-based universal productions and there was just adverts running, not just locally, but nationally on the radio. There was billboards starting to pop up, you know, a lot in, in, the, in the central Florida area. So a lot of the, the marketing that we kind of now associate that we sort of take for granted was sort of mm -hmm. spawned around this sort of mid 90s period now here's a question that i have because you know we've mm -hmm. we've talked about i've heard in the community and things like that that some fans of these kinds of attractions kind of look down on universal for going with ips and things like that yeah but they're the only one that i guess i don't know they, they seem like they're the only ones with the gumption to do it. There's so many other haunts out there that probably were making great money at the time as well. But I don't know. I feel like Universal found this niche and was like, yeah, no one else is doing this. Let's just step on the gas and, and make this a thing. Uh, that's how it, at yeah. least it appears to me. Well, their, their marketing from the very early days, um, every single piece of literature that they put out, whether it was a brochure or, or an article or a billboard, whatever it was, everything always said, ride the movies. And that was what they were going for. And that was the essence of the park. And that, that ride the movies that just carried on for the best part of a decade. So the idea that you could um, go to a Halloween event that universal was putting on and not just see the universal catalog of monsters, you know, Frankenstein's monster, Dracula, blah, 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 and psycho as well. But you would also see these other characters that, are associated with Universal, like the Crypt Keeper, because it, it, it has always been the uh, the idea and the reason why they spend so much money and time developing um, these houses and things for the IPs is because it does attract people into the event. 
And you know, a lot of a lot of uh, longtime fans of Horror Nights will say that the IP may attract you into loving the event, mm-hmm. but it's actually the original houses that keep you going back every year. Mm. Now, before we get too ahead of ourselves, I feel we would be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity to talk about Bill and Ted. Yeah. Well, Bill and Ted, when they secured the rights, um, which was in the second year, um, Bill and Ted had just um, was was sort of, I don't know if they were at their peak, but they obviously the, the two films had just come out and there was a cartoon series as well. And it was reasonably popular. It wasn't a, a universal IP. It wasn't external IP. And it was on one of these renewing contracts where they could just renew it every cycle. And they just kept on renewing it and renewing it and renewing it. And the longer they renewed it, the the more really it got away from being like the cinematic Bill and Ted. And it became its own Bill and Ted. It became the HHN Bill and Ted. And it, 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 it almost became a whole different version of what it was originally meant to be so they were paying these fees obviously to use the names bill and ted and the likenesses and things but in fact what they were actually producing was nothing really essentially like the actual bill and ted and (laughs) it it got it got to a state a few years ago where the uh, original creators of bill and ted were trying to get off the ground the third film which has obviously been delayed now but it's meant to come out sometime this year and one of them expressed went to Horror Nights and, and saw the, the thing and expressed sort of concerns that the characters were not entirely like the original characters and they were quite cruel and um, the level of comedy and innuendo was nothing. They wouldn't ha- have had that in the, in the original two films. So they kind of felt that they didn't think it was possibly that... Um, how can I say, wasn't suitable for them to carry on renewing it, particularly when they had a third film coming out. So I think it was kind of a mutual decision that it would eventually just part ways with with, with Horror Nights. Hmm. Now, um, we're continuing to see a climb here as we move past uh, year five in six and seven. I mean, uh, it is a rocket ship to the moon at this point. And in year eight, we yeah. see another huge, huge uh, development with uh, them deciding that they are really going to up their game once more with the development of the SS Fritanic. Yeah, so that that attraction was sort of... Uh, they, had, they had dabbled um, in some of the previous years as well with these sort of dual houses where it was the same house, but it was two different experiences. And the Fritanic was, was like that. And they kind of i think it was possibly a cost saving thing as well i'm sorry to keep banging that drum but a lot of the stuff does come down to cost <laughs> but it, it it was a case of that they didn't have to build x number of separate houses if they could sort of if if one house blends into the other house they can sort of back to back the sets and obviously they save on production and, and construction costs so it although there was this um budgetary thing all the time it, it didn't really ever decline or diminish the level of offering that they were putting out because it was always highly themed, highly detailed, always had a great backstory. It was always well executed. It was staffed with phenomenal scare actors. So even though there was this sort of issue with that kind of budgetary thing, they, they never you never felt cheap. I mean, the early years, yeah, maybe, you know, throwing, I don't know, you see Michael Myers run past chasing 
um, Leatherface for a second, <laughs> you know, and then you got Herman Monster trying to trip him over or something. I mean, that that would literally <laughs> happen back then. But naturally. It, you know what I mean? It, yeah, naturally. But it it, it didn't. Um, it, it by this point, you didn't really notice that kind of thing. That that didn't exist, if you like. So it seems like, and and Tian, you kind of pointed out earlier that it's like every year they survive another year. Like they've made enough money to cover it to okay, they get to go ahead, and they're growing. So yeah, what is the next turning point, like in year five, where suddenly you know we had a small explosion? What's the next turning point in terms of they try something new and now another explosion comes down the pipe? Well, that year was was very successful. In nineteen ninety nine, the following year, that was also very successful. That was the year that they had the mummy. Uh, house there and they also had uh, another psycho based house and they also started to dabble with 3d um you know 3d glasses technology with houses so it it it, it, they had a lot of money come through the door and for 2000 to try and um, up their game again they did a poll in 1999 as as guests were leaving the event and the poll was very very simple it just said for next year what is the one thing that scares you most? And people could just say anything, you know. And a lot of the times, people walking out of there, half cut, go, oh, what scares me is the cost of your, your, your parking lot. You know, it was, so they, <laughs> they, they had a lot of, lot of that. But the actual thing that came top of the list of the most scariest thing was clowns. And that gave birth, you know, that gave birth eventually to Jack the Clown. And so it was the introduction of their original icons in 2000, where it did step up to another level. So Jack the Clown being their first original icon, uh, obviously the biggest icon, as even newer Horror Nights fans will know, probably the one that has been featured the most far and away. What, What do you think, in your opinion, it was about Jack that just, connected with people beyond these movies and these classic characters and the universal monsters. What was it about Jack that just clicked with people? Well, they had a, they had a round table and they, it was, I think it was loosely chaired by uh, James Michael Roddy and they kind of sat down with everybody on the production team and they kind of looked through and made lists of all of their favorite films that had sort of an element or a, an attribute that could be attached to a, a clown. So they kind of found ingredients from a hell of a lot of different films to try and make Jack this um, sort of cinematic um, icon that has never been on the film anywhere before. But you kind of felt like you knew him. So he had enough bits and pieces that are, you know, let's be honest, stolen from other characters, <laughs> you know, to create this one unique character. And that was Jack the Clown. So, you know, all these little bits and bobs were just borrowed, put together, and then they devised the makeup. James Michael Roddy basically did a sketch there and then very, very rough on the back of a um, back of a, a, an envelope or something and handed it to the um, makeup and special effects team and they kind of created the look and then the single best thing that they ever did the single best thing and i've told him this to his face a million times is they hired because he was working there at the time but they hired the best of the best that they had and that was james keaton and that was for him to play 
Jack the Clown. And he's obviously played and continued to play Jack the Clown ever since. And he laughs, but I have often said, and it is in writing within my books, and my books have been sold across the world, it says James Michael Keaton is the modern-day Lon Chaney because wow. he can do so many voices, so many different acts. He can do anything. So in order to make Jack the Clown so scary to get under your um, fingernails but also make you laugh and be terrified at the same time because that is no mean feat. The only person that could do that, in my opinion, was James Keaton. So it was a, it was a combination of all those things coming together at the right time to create that character. And that is essentially what has made that character so popular for so long. Well, again, kudos to Vintage Universal for looking at the history of this event and saying, well, you know what? We stole the props and nobody got too mad. Why can't we steal <laughs> elements from from horror films and just kind of mishmash them together? <laughs> I still don't think Spielberg knows his Triceratops got cut up and used in that house. I really I, don't. If I were them, I would just say, you didn't get that in the mail? Steven, I swear to you, we've, we've mailed that to you. <laughs> yeah, nobody at him on Twitter, please. Um, so, uh, 10 being the humongous year that it was in terms of theming, uh, with all of its houses tying into their brand new icon, their smash hit icon. Uh, one of the things that I am always the most fascinated by, uh, whenever you speak on it in your books, and uh, whenever I hear anyone who's who's been all the way back then, which I personally have not, um back in, in 2000, 2001, um, the presence of Jack and the presence of Horror Nights as a concept on the classic Universal rides mm -hmm. is something that has always fascinated on me, and I'd like to hear you speak on a little. Well, what they uh, dabbled with as well um, before 2000 was plussing the rides um by making them slightly more scary. But also, um, when you go back, now I forget which year it was, I think it was just prior or just on the Crypt Keeper year, but they basically uh, used the the soundstage that Kong was in. So the, all of those old New York streets, they, the house was built within that. And likewise with Earthquake, they actually used the, the tram station. I mean, obviously they didn't put the water effect on, but <laughs> they, that would they have been scary. Use, that would have been scary. It would have been very scary. <laughs> But, you know, so they actually did use the inside of some of the rise in, in, a, in a sort of smaller capacity. But when it comes to Jack, they, they did um, put him into a lot of the different rides. And the most famous one was by this point, obviously, Jaws had reopened and was, was finally working. And what was a, a Horror Nights tradition, which is obviously sadly now gone, was was what we used to call the, the shark in the dark, which was basically riding Jaws at night is well, was just far more terrifying than riding it during the day. So, um, and there was no added effects. It was just because it was dark. It was just damn scary. So um, the Shark in the Dark was this long-running tradition by this point, and it went on until the ride obviously closed down. But they added um, Jack the Clown in certain scenes in there, and he kind of stayed for a number of years, not every night of Horror Nights, but on usually on the big nights, he stayed in the boathouse, uh, in that scene where you enter the boat and then he's like, where is he? You know, and the door shut behind you. And and Jack would, would basically jump up um, and scare some of the passengers, not expecting to see him from the uh, walkway that was there to the side. Now, this carried on for a number of years 
until um, a chap who was playing Jack one night. It was absolutely pitch black. And he went to do a, a jump scare on the audience. And he basically, um, his foot got caught on a, I think it was an electrical cable. And he slipped over the handle, uh, the railings, and fell into the water with the shark. So, oh! Yeah. So as you can imagine, all hell breaks loose. Right, the, yeah. The, the poor guy who's driving the boat, um, the skipper, he he has controls within the boat to turn the ride off completely. So he goes and, um, and, and turns it off and all the lights come on. And this guy is having pretty much a panic attack in the water right next to the shark. By this point, it had popped up out of the water and was basically stopped in motion right next to him. And his, his wig's gone one way. His makeup's running off. The people on the boat are absolutely screaming the house down. Um, and they eventually uh, get him onto the boat. They take the boat back. And there's all the first aid people and everything. And um, the poor guy is absolutely shook up. And as he as they go to get off, the the, the universal management come over there to the to the guests, and they go, "We're so sorry that this happened." And the guests are like, "Hell no! That was the damn scariest thing I ever saw." <laughs> <laughs> you know. And this guy, um, he uh, rose up in the ranks at Universal, and now, he actually now runs the Chinese theater in LA. Oh wow! Wow! So yeah, so his career just went. You know, astronomical, but he had to pay the price by actually swimming with with the shark from Jaws. <laughs> I, I was expecting that that story would end with, and that man was Michael Aiello. <laughs> well, I was going to say, if that timing hadn't worked out right, it was not just scary that like, oh my God, I'm in the water and there's a big shark, but the hydraulic pressure that it took to get the sharks to come out of the water was so powerful, he could have gotten sucked into oh, yeah. the gears. If he oh, had yeah, landed doubt. early. Yeah. 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 If he, if it had been done any, if he had fallen in the water, maybe even a second earlier, he possibly may have not even been here now. Right. I mean, it was that, it was that serious. Yeah. No, that's insane. I, I'm actually very curious and, and I'm fascinating about the story of this particular man, but back in the years where they did use Jack, I'm, I'm curious what the skipper's, script was and how that changed for him where it's like 10 minutes we'll be shark bait in 10 minutes and also <laughs> if you look on the left there's jack the clown well, over he's there very scary <laughs> yeah well i do you know what i don't know what the script was uh, all i know is that after i think his name was was levi after he fell into the water that was it there was no more jack the clowns in that shed ever again so i don't know what the script was <laughs> well, I hope he stayed in character, Levi, that whole time. Right. Um, <laughs> but um, all right. So moving along, um, we have uh, obviously 2001 was uh, a, a seminal year because it needed a very last minute change, a very last yeah. minute scrap of a new icon, um, possibly what is often referred to as one of the uh, biggest changes they've ever had to do for Horror Nights, maybe prior to this year. <laughs> True. So, yeah. Well, yeah. but uh, yeah, yeah. who knows? Mm. Well, 2000 was a huge year. Jack was a massive success. Again, they had absolutely broken all their records again, and they'd obviously made a hell of a lot of money. So they thought, well, the, sur the survey thing worked out well. Let's do another survey. And they did another survey of people get of guests leaving um, for the final few nights of Horror Nights, what is the most um, scariest thing that scares you, blah, 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 blah. 
And the biggest thing that came out of it that year was um, was voyeurism, being watched, being um, surveilled, you know, that kind of big brother kind of thing. And of course, Big Brother and those types of programs uh, were all very, very popular at the time. That's basically when they all started. Mm-hmm. So they thought, well, how can we create um, an icon that is based on voyeurism? You know, it's a bit of a strange one, but basically they came so to they the So they put cameras creating... in everyone's homes. Right. Well, exactly, exactly that. So they uh, came up with the idea of creating a icon that would be Jack's brother, inverted commas, uh, called Eddie. And his eyes would basically be uh, pinched, if you like, stolen from Hannibal Lecter. The the mask would be very, very similar to something that he would have wore. I forget the actual character that they kind of took that from. But um, they kind of made him look a little bit like Jack with the, the tattoos and the, the, sorry, the face paint and stuff like that. And then they butched him up. And they also, part of the survey was what was the best bits of the evening, the entertainment-wise. And by this point, the... Um, the chainsaw drill gang had become very popular and become a, I mean, them and the rat lady, they'd been a sort of a, an institution at Horror Nights by this point because they'd appeared every single year. And they thought, well, we'll, we'll give him a chainsaw. We'll, we'll make him look very um, imposing and scary from that point of view. So that was the, the makeup, the mixture that, that led to the creation of Eddie. Anyway, skipping forward to 2001, literally was the, was one or two weeks before Horror Nights was going to begin. I mean, don't forget, um, back in those days, you know, Horror Nights actually started in September um, or October, rather, rather than now where they want to start in August like Disney does with their stuff. Right. right. So um, it wasn't very long uh, after 9-11 that the event was meant to take place. So um, they had to uh, change up the event, not a huge amount, but enough that they wanted to take away a lot of the peril a lot of the blood. Um, there was one house that had a lot of dust in it, so it fe- they felt that that was really insensitive to what had just gone on. True. So they removed that, um, and they put a lot of slime everywhere. That was the kind of thing. So everything had slime on it. It was just green slime. I think there was even a, a, um, a uh, I think the um, the sound stages, sorry, the scare zones and some of the shows just, you know, back in the old, Gack days, like with Nickelodeon right. throwing slime over. They basically brought in gallons of that. They weren't using it Nickelodeon, I think. Um, and then they obviously they dropped Eddie and um, replaced him with Jack because they felt that Jack would just be the safer option than perhaps Eddie with his sort of blood-stained, you know, chainsaw, if you like. But they kind of just toned everything down. Well, also, I think it would have been a little, uh, and I don't know if they necessarily for, had like foresight on this, but I think it would have been a little bit um, tough if the whole sort of like spooky theme was going to be voyeurism. And it was like, and by the way, the government just posted like the Patriot Act and NSA may be <laughs> yeah. recording you. And oh, yeah. reality is also that's becoming true. horrifying. It would have been a little tough to sell, yeah. I think. Yeah, that's true. I mean, also that uh, the other thing that happened because this obviously nine eleven happened after the summer season, the um, the uh, the rate of international travel um, anywhere in the world, but but particularly between sort of Europe and the states, really really dried up, completely slowed down. A number of airlines went in went into liquidation as well, and um, the 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 footfall that they had that year was incredibly down. So. It, it was pretty much they relied on 
international guests that were still coming, although in very small numbers, and locals. That was it. They they weren't really having a lot of out of state visitors that year. It was a very very small year because there was such a, a drop in footfall. Okay. So um, obviously they understood at this point that they needed to create uh, other icons, other original content like Jack, because Jack was such a big hit. They knew like, yeah. we, we have to expand this. We have to create more icons. We have to make other famous original characters that are known just for Halloween Horror Nights, nothing else. Um, and so moving into Islands of Fear... Islands of yeah. Fear feels to me like a year that's akin to the early years of Horror Nights where anything goes Wild West because there was not only uh, a house based around a Marvel supervillain, but also one based around Jurassic Park. Yeah, and that's obviously where the Triceratops ended up. Um, <laughs> but um, the I think the standout um attractions that year was obviously well for me anyway was the marvel stuff because marvel um had a, a really good relationship with universal at this point obviously because you know the island that had opened up there but marvel as a business at this point was was nothing like it is today i mean it was incredibly small um and universal were willing to give them big checks of big bags of money can we do this can we do that yeah 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 sure just just do it we don't care sort of attitude right and good. they were lap <laughs> they were lapping it up there wasn't you know a lot of the time now with these uh, ip discussions i mean i can tell you now like for example the shining i mean that took nearly 10 years to to bring to horror nights mm -hmm. but when it when it come to this project with marvel it's like oh um can we use your villains yeah 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 use the villains yeah can we kill all of your superheroes as well what yeah whatever have money yeah money thank you very much so um they weren't really aware and this is the story as as it's been told to me by a few people marvel was not aware that universal had, had basically killed and just and literally destroyed their characters so um you had um spidey's costume torn up and, and pinned to a wall you had um captain america's shield broken and, and embedded in the floor you had thor's hammer hanging from a lamppost you know so you, you had this um complete sort of would say disregard for the ip but it was a, a complete um do what the hell you like with our characters <laughs> And they just did because Carnage at this point was was incredibly popular character in the comic books and various video games and 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 the cartoons and, and the like. So they just ran with it and did this big house that featured Carnage, and it was just the villains had won, the heroes are dead, hooray! <laughs> I mean, they, they, they and apparently Marvel went out there towards the end of the event, and they were so horrified with what they saw, and. Universal said to them, oh, look, this house was so successful. Can we use it again? They're like, no, 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 <laughs> not again. Sorry. So they went from the Wild West to the uh, Harry Potter ruling now of like, no, you can't get <laughs> weird with it. Just leave it alone. Well, the, the actually, Harry Potter has a lot to do with... Um, with Horror Nights in this period, actually, because oh. um, during this period, it's funny you should say that, during this period... Um, Every the internet was sort of starting to become more of a thing, and everything that they were designing was um, being sent to the city of Orlando for approval, as it is now. 
And uh, obviously, you know, they've got all these different building codes that they have to apply to. It has to be um, Americans with Disabilities Act. You know, it has to be completely accessible, blah, 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 blah. So these uh, houses that they were building had to be signed off by the city. They have to come out and check everything. And with the Internet, um, people like myself were starting to find all of the plans for these houses online being submitted many, 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 many months in advance because obviously the city of Orlando, like all government agencies, they take a very long time to do anything. So um, a lot of the fans knew all the stuff that was coming long way ahead of them announcing it. So, you know, that's when all the sort of uh, fan forums and things, I mean, the the HHM Vault was one of the first ones that came about where all these fans could get together and sort of share these plans and stuff like that. And it wasn't until they started to build the Harry Potter stuff with how secretive J.K. Rowling was that Universal managed to get a um, an enactment uh, and a sort of a local agreement with the city of Orlando that anything they submit, can be scrutinized to death by the city of Orlando and people, the public can go there and can look at it in their hands, but they can't take photos. They can't release the information and it won't go on their website. So that all come from the secretiveness of Harry Potter. Hmm. And so from, from then onwards, you can't get access to any of this stuff because obviously Disney is their own place. They're, they make up their own planning and building codes so they can build whatever the hell they like within reason whereas universal got to go to the city of orlando so it was actually so it's funny you should say that it was actually harry potter that put a stop to that so prior to that like this period that we're talking about all these plans you could get online many months ahead of time it is just so fascinating to look back and compare to now i mean nowadays you know with them building the stranger things house and knowing that like Netflix had to come, you know, weeks before the park opened and do the full walkthrough and look at every scene and make sure that every piece of media, every element, every prop used in it was on brand. And meanwhile, you have, you know, 2002 here where they're just like, yeah, yeah just just take one of the spare Spider-Man costumes and just rip it up and stick it on the side of the building. Yeah. And we'll be like, he's dead. All right. <laughs> Well, it's funny enough, I know we're skipping ahead very, very slightly, but just to bring this in very quickly, it was actually 2007 when they had the use of the New Line Cinema Big Three, Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, Leatherface. Um, it was when they got use of them, that's when their IP game stepped up completely. That's when they had to finally devise things many, many months, years in advance and get approval from external IP holders for every single scene. And they were, let me tell you, Universal were religious about it because I think by this point, they had obviously done a lot of original IP and it was very, very great, don't get me wrong, but they did know that they had to step outside the Universal bubble, if you like, to attract some outside IPs. And a lot of their... Um, management of external ips for islands of adventure for example they'd kind of got a handle on it on roughly speaking what it's like to work with external uh, ip holders but it was 07 with new line cinema when they were first properly tested because new line cinema um i interviewed the guy from them uh, who had complete approval over every single drawing and let me tell you he was absolutely fastidious 
about ensuring that every single scene, every single prop, everything was approved by New Line Cinema before it was used. And then even once they were built, New Line Cinema was going through and checking, no, I don't like that. I want that changed. I want that lowered. Um, even as much as in the um, Freddy Krueger house, there's a scene towards the end of it where uh, Jason is shown as a prisoner of Freddy Krueger. And New Line Cinema said, no, we can't have any inclination that Freddy might beat Jason in a fight. You must take him out of here. What? And that was a very late instruction. Yeah, very late instruction. So you walk through this house and at the end there's this cell, prison cell, and there's nothing in it. And you're waiting for a character to, to jump at you, but just nobody ever came. <laughs> but that's the level of detail that these outside IP holders by this point were starting to um, really make sure that everything that was being put out was absolutely spot on in terms of what they wanted. So I was going to say, I think that's actually a perfect way to sort of um, move in, in this direction here is so we start drifting more towards the use of IPs as the years are, are mm. gaining more and more momentum here. How do you feel as your own ghostly persona here? How do you feel that fits in the overall history of the, of the, the, the attraction? Do you feel like it still stays true to what it was starting with? Or do you feel like it kind of veered off in a weird direction? Well, I, I mean, Horror Nights has essentially evolved through time to keep itself relevant. I think all good um, all good franchises of, of whatever you like, whether it's a film or a TV show, whatever, they have to evolve and they have to stay relevant and they have to be um, providing an entertainment that is uh, relevant to the people of that age that are consuming it. And, you know, like Walt Disney said about Disneyland, it's not a museum. It will always uh, continue to evolve. And I think that... Um, that Horror Nights has, you know, I mean, if you go back to, I mean, I jokingly said about the 50s and, and things like that, it was more of a, a dinner party that was held outside. Um, when you get into the 90s, it's basically a, an excuse to get drunk and listen to loads of heavy metal bands sort of <laughs> playing rock music and stuff like that. But by the time you get to 2007, I mean, it is incredibly serious. It's, it's a huge industry upon itself almost um, with people working on it all year round Um planning events you know one or two years in advance whereas now they're sort of planning uh two three four five years down the line so um i i think that uh ip as uh, you know external ip particularly has always got a place for horror nights and i'm glad that it continues to um you know uh, evolve as it has done and i i don't ever feel um sort of um you know like uh, I feel like I'm stuck in the past and I just wish it would go back to the old days because I like to see how it evolved. You know, Stranger Things, for example, when it first came out, a lot of people were, were incredibly uh, negative about them bringing it to the event, saying that it wasn't very scary and that it would only attract young people. Well, and it, it, the thing was, when that came out, the, the footfall, the guest numbers they got that year was an absolute hockey stick moment. I mean, they'd never experienced crowds like it at Horror Nights. And all of those young people that came through the door, particularly the younger ones, you know, they are all now diehard Horror Nights fans and probably will be for a very, very long time. And if we as older fans want this event to continue, then we do need to keep enhancing it to attract each new generation that is discovering this event. Otherwise, it won't continue. So I, I take my hat off to them 
to try and keep something that's over 30 years old, if not older, relevant and fresh. And I don't know how they do it every year, but they do seem to manage it. So I, I'm very positive for the future, but I do obviously miss the past. <laughs> well, that's a, a really fabulous and, and wonderful and sincere thing to hear from you, oh, spirit. Uh, sort of scared <laughs> of you as well. But but that's a very sincere moment to hear from you. Um, I'm, I'm curious as we sort of round out um, and head towards 21, which many consider to be the, the end of Horror Nights past and uh, moving into what many consider to be the present and the bigger IP years, mm-hmm. as we saw some uh, anniversary years, like 16, like 20, uh, I'm, I'm curious sort of how those fit into the puzzle and if you think those also work towards sort of bringing in new fans or if you think those are really just exclusively for hey here's put your nostalgia glasses on because this is for you old horror nights fans (laughs) well the thing is um i think if you are a diehard icon fan i think possibly this year will be your last year to sort of lap that up i can't see a way in which the icons would probably return uh, after this year Uh, if they you know they may do it a very long time but i can't see them returning after this year i think they uh, are getting to the point now where they've used them uh, very very frequently and they don't um hold the 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 thing is now with the the thing is with with the event as well as the company universal as a company has evolved massively um when this started out um universal was a relatively small player um now they're owned by Comcast and the money and the budget and the size of their organization has has rapidly increased. Um, You know, if you go back to the origin of Horror Nights, you've got one or two, maybe three people planning this and then a small team of people putting it together. Now you've got a whole army. You've got uh, hundreds of people working on it. Um, And the thing is with that is that um, you will will get to a point where... um, the cachet that the icons had isn't particularly that relevant anymore, particularly where this event and the way in which the theme park is, is now organized is that marketing perhaps have more of a say now than perhaps they used to. Hmm. So if they don't feel that younger people will have much of a knowledge base or interest in the original icons, then they probably won't be used. Um, the, the typical way that marketing has worked over the last few years is that they will build the event around some kind of marquee uh, IP, like, for example, as we discussed, Stranger Things. Um, and then everything else around that is sort of bonus. So you, you Ghostbusters or your Kidder Clowns, you know, they all have their fans. Right. Um, and you're trying to appeal to... You're not trying to appeal anymore to Horror f- Night fans. You're just trying to appeal to anyone of film fandom across the globe, essentially, because... They are thinking much wider and uh, and longer with this because they, they want just anybody with a passing interest in Ghostbusters, for example, just to come to Horror Nights, just to experience it. Because once you try it once, you will just keep on coming back. And that is the attitude that they work to these days. So the icons don't have that power like, you know, Ghostbusters, Stranger Things, etc. They have that power. So I, I can't see a world where the icons will exist past this year, unfortunately. Um, And I know that um, 
many of the icons are played by the same actors every single year and a few of them have spoken to me and i know well i've heard whispers that a lot of them are saying that you know this is our final year of us playing the part whether that means the icon won't come back but that's what i'm basically sort of inferring so i i think it will continue to do this marketing ploy where they do build it around a particular ip and obviously the icons will become less and less um utilized well christopher you mentioned you know both having an appreciation for you know where the event is going but also having that nostalgia for the past so i feel like i feel like Tien, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask a, a burning question here to our spectral yeah. guide. <laughs> Christopher, what is your favorite house in the history of the of the attraction? Oh. What's your least favorite? <laughs> you had to ask this question, didn't you? I, 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 <laughs> what else are we going to have this opportunity? I, I get asked this question all the time, and I get, often get it asked by scare actors. And if I don't say their house that they oh, have true that yeah. one time. They get very, very offended by me. So I, I like to try and pick a house from the past, the long past, because the further back I go, the least likely I am to upset someone. Um, because that's what you can worry about in this day and age is upsetting people or triggering people, as they say on Twitter. Um, so, um, I mean, the correct answer probably, um, a lot of people like Cabin in the Woods, that was a phenomenal house back in uh, 2013. Um, that was not only was it scary, but it was very, very fun as well. Um, I think possibly if I go back to 07, um, my favorite, um, my favorite uh, house was uh, Dead Silence, The Curse of Mary Shaw. And that house was phenomenally well done so you felt like you were in the movie i mean no one saw the movie don't get me wrong um, it, it 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 was made by uh lee Wernell, uh, who obviously is very famous now for saw and the invisible man and i interviewed him recently and i said to him remember dead silence and he was like yeah 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 great film but no one saw it i was like yeah no one saw it but it just happens to be possibly the greatest Halloween Horror Nights house that they ever made. And he was so taken aback by that. You could, you could almost hear the tears in his voice that this film that he loved writing and, and directing and producing, he loved that film, but nobody else loved it. No one cared for it. And uh, for me to tell him that perhaps it was possibly the greatest Horror Nights house, he was so choked. Um, and I, I just felt like... Um, you know, I'd probably done my civic duty that day, informing him that uh, of how great his house was. Um, have you ever seen the film? Yes, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. You have. And I, I, what, what year was the Dead Silence House? Uh, Two thousand. That was oh seven as well. Yeah. I, was there a room in it where you walked down a catwalk and there were yeah. dummies that all turned and watched you? Well, there was there was a there was a catwalk where you were sort of um, they made it feel like you were suspended up in the air, and then yes. there was a room full of dummies where they were all looking at you. Yeah. Yes, I was. I went through that house. Yeah, yeah. Holy lord, I haven't thought yeah. about. I that think before. that was possibly my favorite. 
Yeah, I mean, I know that 2007 in general is is truly a fan favorite year, and like you said, it was a seminal year for the event. Um, are you in a position? I know that kind of hearing your intro there of saying like, "Well, I a lot of scare actors talk to me, uh, and I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings." Are you in a position to name what's possibly your least favorite house? Um, well. I have said on a few podcasts what my least favorite house uh, is, and I'm just double checking here what year it was because I because it's my least favorite. I always forget what year it was. Right, you've blocked it out um, of your mind. <laughs> I, I pretty much, I pretty much have. Yeah, it was. It was in 2012, and it was one of the first years that they used the um, oh gosh, what do they call it? The parade float building mm. right over the back of the. Uh, of the of the lot there. Oh boy! And it was Universal's Universal's House of Horrors. Um, now the reason why uh, this house um, was a house of the damned, really, it should never have existed, was because two things. It, it was the year that someone at Universal in Hollywood decided to. Do you know what would work really well in Orlando? Let's just throw a, a Transformers ride in the middle of the park. Okay, right. where should we put it? Well, you know that house you've just built that's incredibly well detailed for Halloween Horror Nights that you've spent so much money and love and time on. Oh, yeah, we know the one. Yeah, just just demolish it and build your Transformers ride on top of it. So <laughs> And make sure they, it's a big box. That make sure it doesn't blend in. Well, the, <laughs> yeah, that as well. Yeah, that's it. So um, so they did that, and they needed another house on the slate because they, they had to make the numbers up. So they used the, the parade float building very last minute, and um, they uh, blacked it all out. Uh, do you remember this house? They kind of yes. used paint that you'd buy from Costco. I don't know where you get your paint <laughs> from. And painted a load of weird sort of stencils of the Wolfman and Frankenstein's monster and things like that. And uh, it, it wasn't scary. The scare actors basically were wearing black jumpsuits with a bit of paint on it. And... Um, it, it, it just just was not scary, just was not fun to be in. And then halfway through the run, it was that bad that, that God himself hated it and flooded the damn thing. <laughs> they they had this, it's true, they had this um, tremendous downpour, as they do in Florida all the time, but they had this tremendous downpour of rain one night and um, the drains couldn't cope. And it just so happened I was going through the house at this point. So no. I, I can testify to this. Yeah, yeah, I was going through the house at this point. And what happened was the drains, I don't know what happened to them. They got blocked up massively. I don't know what happened. And it just flooded the whole building. And the whole house was under a foot of water. And we were going through it. And I'd never been so wet in all my life, literally. I was just like I'd been swimming. And um, I remember uh, driving there that night. And I had a uh, soft top convertible Mustang. And it, there was lightning bolts coming around me as I was approaching horror nights but i was like i must get to horror nights you know even all, all of this sort of tempest of storms that were going on and and then you go into this house which is absolutely terrible and then it just floods <laughs> i mean I, I it was just awful anyway i recounted this story to um i don't know if you remember him he's, he's not around he's not around as much anymore but he used to write a lot of articles for um uh orlando attractions magazine his name was uh foul allison do you remember him Sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, well, he was always very good at digging up um, Horror Nights rumors um, and then presenting them through the magazine. 
And I was telling him, because he asked me, he was interviewing me for an article, article, and I said, I hated that house. It was absolutely shocking. It was garbage. They should never have bothered. And he went, I acted in that house. That house was phenomenal. And I was like, oh, my God, I've done it again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was going to say that my running theory now. I'm looking at pictures, by the way. So it was just a blacklight classic monsters house? That was supposed yeah. to be the gimmick? Well, well, twenty two yeah. was an infamously bad year, um, and for because and the construction threw everything off, right? Right, yeah, that okay. was part of it, yeah. But but also they, uh, you know, bent heavily on The Walking Dead, and The Walking Dead house was really underwhelming, and um, yeah, there's a uh, it, it was a lot of uh, they they had pulled a lot of strings to get with a lot of IPs. I don't mean to take the role of our ghost here, but but they right. pulled a lot of strings with a lot of IPs and <laughs> and not particularly done well with any of them. And so you had but, a lot of. So my running theory right now is the rains came down and some brave character soul just decided to just jam some of the cheap costuming into the drains so that it would flood. And they'd be like, oh, no, what happened? Oh, geez. <laughs> there's there's, there's got to be something about, um, I don't know, there's some sort of bad luck when it comes to monsters' houses and massive rain. I remember when I went to uh, Horror Nights in Hollywood in 2018 and did their monsters' house, which was partially outside, as a lot of the Hollywood houses are. Mm. It was like the one mm. year... Well, the one day uh, in the last three years where it rained in L.A. and it was just soaking oh, wet in that whole entire house. And to the point where all the scare actors like Frankenstein's monster is like batting at like a stream of water coming in through the house because they couldn't even do anything else. Everyone's so distracted without soaking wet they are. Um, yeah, I'd say the scariest part, though, of the entire House of Horrors experience in Orlando was hitting your head going into the Crouch Down Mummy sequence. That was always really scary. Oh, God, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was awful because when it flooded as well, it meant that you had to crouch down into the wet even more. It was just... I mean, for for the Americans with Disability Act, I don't even know how they could ever bring that back. I mean, back I mean, to say that back in the day, you know, way 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 back in the day, in the early days, there was a house that had a slide in it. I'm not kidding you, and mm. you slid down it into a ball pit. So, those are the best kinds of houses. I mean, uh, now you can really only turn to independent haunts for that sort of thing. I think, but that said. Wow. Um, you are a wealth of information. I'm certain that we could talk to you for hours. Um, I'm curious, as, as we see uh, the light behind you start to dim and your spectral form start mm -hmm. to dissipate, and we know that your, mm -hmm. your, your business is finished here nearly, quite nearly, mm -hmm. um, I'm curious mm -hmm. to know if you've got anything to plug right now. Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. I should do that. I'd get in trouble with my co-host if I don't. Um I am co-host of a um, podcast called The Halloween Half Hour, and we um, have been going since the end of last year, well, since Halloween last year. So we, we tend to do one every sort of fortnight, three weeks, and uh, we basically talk news and rumors to do with uh, the horror industry, and every episode we try and get a celebrity guest to come on and talk to us about their role in something to do with um, something within the, the horror genre. So um, we've got, uh, we, we interviewed, um, I think one of my favorite ones was John Kassir. Um, we, we've also, um, it's very late where I am. I'm sort of forgetting all the guests we've had on, <laughs> but we, we uh, interviewed the writers from Creepshow uh, on the last episode. That was, that was very, very fascinating because um, 
the guy who had uh, one of the co-writers there, I think his name was Paul Din. He had actually created Harley Quinn in the Batman series. Yes. Oh yes, yeah, Paul Dini. Yes, amazing. Paul Dini. That's it. Yeah. So that that was a fantastic episode. Um, we've also had on um, obviously like Lee Winnell, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, we had Joe Elves on who um, created uh, Bruce the Shark for Jaws one and two, um, and then he directed Jaws three uh, D and. That episode um, has just gone absolutely crazy. It's got sort of 10 times more downloads than all the others. So a lot of people say to me, should I start a podcast? And I always say to him, yes, yeah, start a podcast, but just do talk about Jaws. Right, that's the <laughs> every time we mention, Every time we mention Jaws, we get loads and loads of downloads. So for you guys, if you want to do a show about how their Jaws ride broke down, just, okay. just do it because you'll get so many... So many people listening to it. That's All right. a fantastic behind-the-scenes um, note. We're just going to start tagging Jaws in every episode we do, regardless of what it's just about. Just tag. Tag away. Um, and then, obviously, we've had Victoria Price, who is uh, Vincent Price's daughter, and we've had uh, Linnea Quigley and uh, Kane Hodder on. They've all been so gracious with their time talking about their different projects. But I also, on top of the Halloween half hour, I will have the 2020 guide uh, coming out again this year. Um, I'm not working on any uh, horror-related books other than that at the moment. I've got sort of other projects ongoing uh, on more uh, serious but much more boring subjects um, <laughs> to do with history and things like architecture. So um, I will return the horror sphere once I can um, put together uh, a good idea for another book. Mm, fabulous. Well... Our ghostly host here, Christopher, thank you so much for the unending volumes of information you've given us here, and, and, and hopefully we can make one step further to redemption after foolishly, foolishly, shame on us, forgetting to talk about Halloween Horror Nights when we went through our own histories. And, and we are honored and privileged to have shared your unfinished business here before I, I guess you dissipate into hell. I don't, I don't know how ghosts work. Yeah, yeah, I, I well, know I, how I, ghosts work. Well, I I, uh, I go back to my crypt. And, oh, uh, as ah, ever, perfect. Uh, yeah, I do. And as ever, when I go back to my crypt before I leave, I always say, um, "Have a happy nightmare." <laughs> Thank you again. And what whatever you do, Christopher, please don't send two more ghosts to follow you to talk about the rest of horror nights. That's all we ask. So, yeah, if you could do uh, a well, salad. Unfortunately, I can't promise that. Oh, oh boy. Oh, All right. Well, well, thank you again. And oh, oh. He just vanished just like that. Just like a, a, a wisp off into the night. Just like a kiss from a rose. Beautiful. <laughs> well, um, well, Zach, this has been illuminating. And uh, yes. I think we need to take a breath here because I don't know what's going to come next. We need to take a breath and I need to change my pants. Yes. Okay. Wow. Um, well, Zach, that was a frightening experience. I, I really didn't expect Damn. that we were going to be visited by a real g -g 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 ghost. What is going on around here? Yeah. This is... This is, this is ridiculous. We got to get a young priest and an old priest. What is going yeah, on? Yeah, and like a middle-aged priest as well. Sure. Yeah, all, sure. Uh, any of them that we can get a hold of. Uh, I just hope that, you know, if there's one thing that I wish for right now, it's that that ghost that we just met, I hope that's the only one that we meet tonight. That's all I ask. All right? Agreed. Agreed. Wait a minute. What, do you do, do you hear something? Uh, how you doing, boys? 
How's it going? Oh, oh my gosh. What? <laughs> Zach, that was... Uh, okay, I'm also just as scared as you are, but holy moly, that was... Wow, okay. Um, I, I recognize you despite your ghostly form, spirit. Aren't, aren't you Hunter from the Catacombs of Halloween Horror Nights podcast? <laughs> Boy, am I ever. And uh, you guys are in for quite a treat. Oh my gosh! Uh, well, Ghost Hunter, I, 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 we, 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 of course, whatever you want to tell us. Also, I'm, I apologize. You had to experience my warrior shriek, uh, in ghostly form that that comes out very rarely, but you spooked me. Right? You yeah. Really no, me. I mean, he gets very scared by any sorts of ghosts at all. I mean, even the movie Ghost, uh, he gets really just seeing a Blu-ray copy of that, he'll he'll shriek just like that. So I, I understand. Um, but okay, so you're you're you, but but you're also you're the ghost of Halloween Horror Nights present, I guess, right? I, I I guess I am. I am the the nine foot tall Muppet of the episode. Oh. It, it was quite a surprise that I ended up in this form, but you know I'm doing all right. Wow. An extra three feet. Well, okay, okay. That's great. Well, that's uh, uh, that's wow. It, it's great to have you here. I guess. And thanks for. Uh, being on the show, I don't even know if this is the show anymore. It's just so scary. All right. Well, uh, being that you're the ghost of Halloween Horror Nights present, I assume you here are here to talk about, uh, I guess, what many people consider the present era, what what a lot we refer to as the IP era of Horror Nights, which uh, being where we ended off with our last ghostly uh, guest there, um, that would be, uh, unfortunately, with year 22. Yikes. Yeah, 22 is the year that I, I think a lot of people, including yourselves, are, are counting as kind of the, the next generation of Halloween Horror Nights. And uh, a lot of that comes down to a very, very popular television series kind of serving as the anchor that year, uh, because that was the year that we first got The Walking Dead. Now, now I, I have a question, uh, horrifying uh, spirit hunter. Uh, in your opinion... Uh, Halloween Horror Nights in general, do you feel that there is a strength in using IPs or do you feel like it's just a big, wet, spooky fart? I um I, I think a lot of people are too negative on IPs, being perfectly honest. I, I think a lot of the complaints I see about the event being so IP-centric um, kind of fall on deaf ears. IPs have always been like a major force for Halloween Horror Nights. When people think Halloween Horror Nights, they're thinking about being able to walk into movies a lot of the time. And though I love original houses, spoiler for a little bit later, my favorite house that I have personally gone through is an original house. The IPs are so important. But there is something to be said. You know, 17 was the year that brought a lot of the classic horror icons to the event. Leatherface, Jason Voorhees, uh, Freddy Krueger officially. Um, and then in a year that we're about to talk about, Michael Myers is thrown into the mix. But, you know, 22 is where we really started to see them push hard on modern IP and even classic horror IP. Well, you know, I, I do actually see both sides of the fan argument in this case, because I know that, you know, as you're arguing, and I totally respect that opinion, I think that's probably the healthiest opinion to have when it comes to Horror Nights is like, listen, don't hate on the IPs. They've been here since 
the beginning. Um, I think the, the thing that most people point out in terms of what they consider the present era and when they, you know, look back with their rose-tinted glasses on the old icon years of Horror Nights, they're mainly pointing out that they don't want to see IPs be the focal point, and also they don't want IPs that are shameless tie-ins, like things like Dracula Untold, where it's like, well, did, did you do this because you were passionate about the property and you thought it would make a great haunt, or did you do this because it's the next big hit and coming from Universal and you guys want to get some butts in the seats in the theater? I think there's something to be said for that, but I think pretty much every, I mean, even if we're going by that and we're talking about the classic HHN years, heck, you had Darkman featured at the event, I think during HHN 4, the first actual official HHN icon was the Crypt Keeper. So like, it's, you kind of can't pick and choose as far as what's good IP representation versus bad, because it has always been a concurrent thing throughout the entire history of the event. Well... I think we've got ourselves a situation here where there is always going to be IP usage, but what is it about year 22 that I guess they pushed it too far? Why does everybody hate this year? I think 22, so keep in mind, 22 had five IPs out of seven total houses. Woo! But you had the House of Horrors, you had The Walking Dead, you had Alice Cooper, Penn and Teller, and Silent Hill. So there was only two original houses that year. And I think for a lot of people, because it was the first time that you had had so many in recent memory, because 21 only had one property uh, the year before, which was the reboot slash remake of The Thing, it kind of caught people off guard to have so many. And uh, I think, unfortunately, for a lot of these it wasn't exactly the strongest properties that they could be utilizing for an event like this. Uh, the Walking Dead makes sense, but Penn and Teller and Alice Cooper, maybe not, you know? So um, I think not only are we pointing out that 22 had an overwhelming amount of IPs, not only that, but uh, from what I have heard, overwhelmingly the two original houses were voted as the best houses that year. Oof. Yeah, that was a really tough year because not only did you have everything going on with just the event itself, but you didn't actually even have themed scare zones that year. You had the Legions of Horror, which was the the roaming scare zones. And I think even with that, that, that's part of the reason the year is considered so negatively by a lot of people just looking back. But Speaking of those two originals, you're talking about Dead End and you're talking about Gothic, which are, are very well recognized within the community. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, the, the Legions of Horror, a lot of people have claimed that, you know, even those people who did Frequent Fear went multiple times that year. There are people who claim that they would go entire nights without experiencing any sort of themed horror on the streets because it just wouldn't line up. They'd, they'd be crossing paths and, and just never running into a legion. They'd always be on another side of the park or wherever it was. The idea was, oh, now nowhere is safe. But in reality, it ended up being for a lot of guests. Oh, everywhere is safe, actually. You just didn't bump uh, in anybody. Hopefully this... Hopefully this magically syncs up and it scares you real bad. Otherwise, uh, please go stand in line again. Yeah, and, and I'll say even the Legions of Horror, like they actually have really, really cool backstories. But the problem is that maybe the execution of the Wandering Legions wasn't exactly what people had imagined. So 
Yeah, 22 is a, a little bit of a rough year. But like I said, I don't think you can understate how important The Walking Dead coming to the event was. That brought so many people to the event for the first time. And it's pretty funny when you remember that The Walking Dead was actually in the disaster queue. So it wasn't even like one of the big marquee houses as far as location at the time. So I guess my final note about 22 is, would you say, Hunter, in your opinion, that if in an alternate universe, it was a little more balanced and every IP that they used was just an absolute banger that nobody would look down on 22, that it was just sort of a combination of just lackluster planning and kind of everything just sort of fallen short, except for the original houses, which obviously weren't getting the same kind of love, but ended up being like the stars of the show. That's that's really tough, to be perfectly honest, because I, I feel like maybe there is more potential if you were to divide it up. I will say personally, just looking back at my history, I think HHN 21 was such a strong year for so many people. You had seven great original houses and one IP that was considered pretty great with the thing. I, I feel like regardless what happened, 22 was going to be pretty hard uh, to, to follow up that that previous year. Yeah, sometimes uh, they're sort of at the mercy of what they last hit. You know, sometimes you're 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 going to have nowhere else to go when you're just going up and up and up and up. I mean, you can't have every single horror cult horror movie that everybody's ever loved bought for that year just because the previous year had a few that they loved. Well, we can move past twenty two aside from the fact that uh, a little plug for our own show. If you want to hear our interview with Twenty Penny Circus, who was featured that year, that's in an old episode. But anyhow, um, we can move ahead, uh, Mister ghostly spirit to uh, i guess you'd want to talk to us about 23 then yeah so 23 is what started um a couple of like big traditions for the event actually um not only did it start the actual tradition of having the walking dead featured every year for the next couple years going forward all the way until 26 but this is also the first year where they licensed a major ip for the event uh, a major classic horror IP, I mean, and that was An American Werewolf in London. An American Werewolf in London was kind of the first beat-by-beat beat retelling of a classic horror movie that we had seen at the event, at least for quite a while. Especially, it was definitely the first time to the current like budgetary standards and the amount of detail that we've come to expect today. This was the first one where it wasn't just an iconic scene, it wasn't just part of a larger experience, it was let us walk you through the movie. And it ended up being one of the most popular houses of all time. Yeah, so popular. We're going to briefly mention it again when we talk two years later for the 25th anniversary. Now, my question, uh, spookly ghost host, um, which do you personally prefer? Which did you prefer in your um, you know, human mortal state? Um, the beat-for-beat beat retelling of a story in a house or just sort of a, we're taking concepts and ideas and we're tweaking them from this movie kind of houses. So I actually think the perfect adaptation of a classic horror film that we've got so far, or the most perfect, is actually Poltergeist from 28. Because I think it toes that line as far as serving the original house purpose as far as putting you into an environment where you don't know what to expect, but also still providing the beats and the story from a movie that's very well regarded. Poltergeist is a classic and it's so smartly said, Hey, we're going to work from the end of this movie 
and go into original territory. And for that, I think Poltergeist was really, really successful. So Mm -hmm. uh, again, we're we're talking about another year of Halloween Horror Nights where the streets are not necessarily the highlight of the event. Uh, A lot of guests were pretty bored by the fact that the entire park was themed around various scenes from The Walking Dead. Yeah, I I think anytime you do park-wide scare zones, unfortunately, you're asking a lot. I, I really don't like it when they do whole event scare zones like that i I think it's kind of lame (laughs) being perfectly honest even with original environments there was some cool stuff like if you were talking about the barn that they put up which had i mean you were actually walking through the barn with the well zombie in the back um you had the campsite but kind of those results were in my opinion kind of few and far between so uh, not a fan personally that's fair I'm curious uh, when it comes to a lot of these properties that we had seen, and it was, uh, I'd say, a little outweighed in terms of the IPs versus uh, the originals this year. I mean, you had, uh, uh, looks like, Havoc, uh, Afterlife, Death's Vengeance. Havoc, of course, being a sequel to a previous uh, original. Uh, We had Urban Legends, La Llorona. Knowing that there was, I guess, a pretty healthy mix of original versus IP houses that year, Uh, Was there one that you thought really stood out? Yeah, so there was five out of eight this year, uh, again. But I actually think this is a perfect mixture as far as you have the classic property. You have something that attracts a lot of people, which is The Walking Dead returning. And then you have two modern horror films with The Cabin in the Woods and The Evil Dead remake. And I think those are like perfect for an event like this. Like those were great grabs for this year. And uh, I respect the heck out of it. And it's pretty cool. You know, we we briefly touched on it, but last year did have Silent Hill. And this year they did Resident Evil. Resident Evil being a way more popular franchise, I think, for, for most people on name appeal alone. And uh, kind of those three, plus an American Werewolf in London, plus the three originals, I think you have a pretty good mixture here. And uh, I actually always put this one on my Wayback Machine. If I could go back to any HHN year, it would actually be this one. Now, question for the group here, um, because this year had Resident Evil, it's called Escape from Raccoon City, but it's basically Resident Evil 3, do we think that this may be something we'll revisit now that the remakes have been so successful? I think there. I think there's a... Uh... There's definitely a place to do something like that, honestly. Um, you know, the overseas parks, I'd have to look it up, but they actually do a Halloween event where they are using the haunt style attraction with the the laser guns and the vests, but it's themed to Biohazard or Resident Evil, and that sounds great. It's hard to imagine an upcharge like that coming to our HHN, at least here in Orlando, but I think Resident Evil would definitely be pretty hot if they were to bring it back yeah i think it's a property that has a lot more potential i mean it's seen so many uh iterations of itself you know i mean the whole raccoon city uh and the the manor i mean that's but one aesthetic you get out of resident evil i mean we're, we're setting aside resident evil 7 we're setting aside resident evil 4 like all very very different aesthetics and very different feels that you could build for a haunted house so yeah i think it, it's it, there's plenty of room there to bring it back i'm not certain that they would just because those who remember this haunted house remember eh you know that i feel like there weren't a lot of like super fond memories of it people didn't hate it but you know it was fine it had some height to it. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I think this one, 
I do respect the heck out of them because I feel like they delivered a lot of what you'd expect from an HHN house, but they also experimented a lot. Like a lot of people bring up the pause room that was in this house. I think that's a pretty cool idea. And whether or not you felt it fulfilled you personally, I, I give them props for at least trying something unique like that, you know? Yeah, I, I think so. So, um... Uh, unless there are any final things you want to share with us about 23. Uh, it is a year that is very fond to me personally because I am a humongous Evil Dead fan and I'm a humongous Cabin in the Woods fan. So to have those two back-to-back uh, this year, I was extremely happy. So very, very soft yeah. uh, place in my heart for 23. Um, but, you know, uh, people remember The Walking Dead when it comes to 23, I'd say. Well, I, I as much as we're all kind of like throwing scorn at returning Walking Dead, I, Cabin in the Woods, you could have done that. You could have done, every year you could have done Cabin in the Woods, Merman. Like you could have done Cabin in the Woods, <laughs> Redneck Zombies. Like you could have just taken that dry race board and just made that a standard house every year. And yeah, it could have worked. You know what I wish I no, had you... so desperately was the the Q video from that house. It's uh I me too. <laughs> I'll just say that me too. Um. Okay. So moving past because uh, we could just spend uh, another thirty minutes talking about uh, Cabin in the Woods, honestly, legitimately. But but so to to not fall into that trap and to move on to year twenty four. What would you have to say about twenty four, oh, Muddy Spirit? So twenty four is the first. Uh, when I think of twenty four. I think of getting two, well, technically three classic horror franchises represented as far as Halloween officially debuting at the event. That's, you know, huge, huge deal. You're talking 1978's classic film. I mean, you, you don't get much bigger than Halloween when it comes to the public conscience. And there's a reason they brought it back two more times additionally after this and some of the years that we're about to talk about. But personally, I am a big alien fan and I am a big predator fan. So it's pretty cool to actually have alien versus predator show up this year as well. This is another uh, five out of eight split when you're talking about your IPs versus originals. But I think for the most part, this is a pretty good year as far as IP representation, except for one that you already brought up TN. And that was, uh, excuse me, Dracula untold. Oof. Yeah, Dracula Untold, uh, a movie so bad that it uh, completely made them turn tail on the dark universe. But uh, what I actually really find interesting about the Alien vs. Predator house, and, and we can kind of talk a little bit about this in terms of properties that are, are represented both in Hollywood and in Orlando in the same year, is that Hollywood, and I didn't go through this house, but Hollywood did a very, like, AVP Requiem, it's set in a neighborhood, there are xenomorphs like in your bedroom, sort of haunted house, and it was not well received. And then uh, this one is set in a Weyland-Yutani research facility, and for all intents and purposes is an original story. It's like they're working on the xenomorph gene, and the predators catch wind of it, and we're like, oh, we gotta go shut that shit down, and arrive there, and you're right in the in the thick of that. Yeah, I, you know, you're talking about Hollywoods and, you know, that that house had something cool. 
because it had the actual alien queen. Um, that that's like the only the the only plus that I can give them there. But I do respect that the two houses were so different. Um, I will say though that our version of the house was more so. It felt like xenomorphs featuring predator instead of xenomorph versus predator um it it definitely felt more like an alien house do you think it was designed exclusively as an alien house originally and then they were told hey should throw some of them predators in there i feel like the properties are so intrinsically like tied with each other at this time that or have been for 30 years now with the, the dark horse comic books that you know you kind of get one you might as well just get the other but it has me hopeful that at some point who knows with the fox deal and everything like that uh with disney but it has me hopeful that maybe we'll just get a straight alien house at some point or maybe just a straight predator house i would love to see something just set in the jungle i think that'd be pretty cool i think another again i don't know why my suggestions are like you know what halloween horror nights problem is not gimmicky enough um <laughs> I think it would have been really interesting if the house setups for both Florida and California had been very close to one another, if not like identical. However, in one, the predator was victorious at the end. Like your final scene was like a jump scare with the predator being victorious. And in California, the final jump scare was the xenomorph being, being or vice versa or whatever. I think that would have been very interesting. Not as like a, oh, we need to trick people into traveling to both parks but i think that would have been <laughs> i hear one scene is different right book yeah. the tickets honey yeah exactly go get plane tickets i want to see how the xenomorph looks but th- i think that would have been interesting to give it more of a purpose as opposed to just like i don't know they didn't feel like building the the you know Whalen yutani center in california so they just decided they're it's a neighborhood now yeah i, I you know this is one of those houses that very visually beautiful, right? And something cool that they were able to do is, you know, they spent all that money on those American Werewolf in London puppets the year before. That kind of started the the massive implementation of puppets in a lot of their, their major haunted houses. So without uh, American Werewolf, we probably wouldn't have the Xenomorphs the following year in AVP. That's a very yeah, interesting. I mean, I didn't think about it, that as like a domino effect. Yeah, no, no, that, that it, it it makes sense. I mean, they were so effective as a scare, and I'm sh- I'm certain that there were people on the creative team that were terrified at how they were going to make the werewolf puppets work in American Werewolf. I'm certain they were like, people are going to laugh at these. It's a puppet. They're going to see the operator. People are not going to be down for this. And it ended up being like one of the most effective scares of all time. My favorite one is actually from last year. He was in Nightingale's Blood Pit. And that poor puppeteer slash scare actor is in full Roman gladiator regalia standing behind the lion operating him. I thought that was great. No, that's excellent. Absolutely. Um, also, as a to, quick aside, sure. one of the scare zones for this year was uh, the Purge Anarchy. I feel like that's such a no-brainer. Like, for scare zones, sometimes don't get a lot of love um, because they can seem they can feel kind of, like, thrown together at the last minute or there's not as much care put into them. But, like, the Purge is such a picture-perfect property to use as a scare zone. Because, like, don't get me wrong, you can obviously make a more intimate story in a house. You know, that was the whole first movie. But once the films were like, no, nah, it's the whole nation and everything's crazy, what a perfect way to place that in, is in a scare zone. Yeah, The Purge has been featured so many times. And this, I'm so glad you brought it up because this is the 
original debut of the purge showing up at the event um and and like i said it's shown up several times since then but um yeah it as far as like a new york scare zone the purge is perfect for that and this year they had such cool stuff like they actually did like live executions and they they did the drive up with the trucks and everything like that like they really took full advantage of it and um like I said, it's hard to imagine a cooler zone in New York, especially for that year where we hadn't become so inundated with the purge at that point. We mm. weren't tired of it. Um, it. It really made a statement for a lot of people. And when I think about this year, as cool as a lot of the houses are, I feel like the purge does get brought up a lot this year. Yeah. And like I said, just the the, the fact that it was it felt like it was absolutely the perfect placement for it instead of like a downgrade or like, a, yeah, we had this, we put, we paid the money for it, but we already had enough houses. So eh, it's a scare zone. This felt like it was built from the ground up to be a scare zone. Yeah. 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 And you know, you know, uh, we've got to hit the walking dead again, but this, the walking dead is significant this year because it was the largest house they had ever built at that time. This was the first house that they ever classified as a mega house, which we did see with several other properties going on, but we would not have the big marquee like American horror story at 26 without the walking dead getting this treatment this year. Hmm. Now, on the other end of uh, not-so-cool scare zones, you did also have a, have a face-off scare zone this year over mm-hmm. in Hollywood. That's because um, Ink Master was too expensive. <laughs> yeah, personally, I think face-off was just like, hey, we've got this thing. Uh, we, we're kind of associated with sci-fi. Let's just throw it in there, whatever. We want to promote the show. But, you know, it, you do have that later on as far as, hey, uh, let's use this because it'll bring in people. So, uh, any final thoughts, uh, almighty spirit, before we move on to a year that I assume we're going to be talking about for a hot second? Um, Well, I did want to bring up, we touched on it briefly, but I don't think the appearance of Halloween can be understated. That was such a big grab for them. And when you're looking at the lineup over the next few years, we're going to talk about two other slasher icons in just a moment. Um, But the reason I want to bring this up is... Halloween was one of the first houses that proved that you could build something to the scale of a parade building or even a soundstage in the tent locations. And for that, I think it's worth noting uh, alone. Excellent. Okay. Well, then, without further ado, uh, a year that is still talked about to this day, uh, even though it was a, a mere five years ago, people still talk about it like it just happened yesterday. Halloween Horror Nights 25. Did you miss me? It was good. Yeah, <laughs> good spo- year. I, sp- I spoiled it, sorry. Oh, okay, all right. But but please, uh, Spirit, take us away. I mean, what made this year so significant? You know, what made this year so significant was the purge returning. Um, the, the purge coming back <laughs> we heard, really we, made a huge difference. We heard the demands of the fans. The hotels were all booked under purge characters. We got it. Here it is. Okay, guys, I get it. Fuck me for trying to set a scene, all right? For, for you know, trying to set us up to whatever. Okay, fine. Uh, it was a good year. Let's talk about it. Okay. The, the reason I'm bringing up The Purge seriously so early on is because it's one of the most heartbreaking moments in Halloween Horror Nights history. Oh, God, yeah. And that is because it is no secret that house was originally supposed to be 
1990s beloved classic Scream. And the worst part of this is it's not one of those situations where they were in negotiations and it fell out. Like the house was built, like it was there. There were commercials filmed and it was removed at the last possible second. So not to bring the room down, everyone who, you know, knows anything about the last couple of years is already aware, but man, it still hurts. It's a big bummer. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I like the elements that were left in there. I like that you still have stovetop popcorn that you can sort of almost identify different scenes, different bedrooms, and imagine, you know, here's where Ghostface would have come out. Like, ain't that sad? Um, but no, for a year where the marketing is so beloved, I mean, that's one of the things that I think sticks with people about this year, aside from a lot of really great houses, aside from Jack being the fan favorite that he is coming back as an icon with a different look. I think the the marketing and the branding, uh, the new simplified jack face that they had on everything the spinning saw blades they had on every single marquee every single sign for twisted taters it's just everything aligned so beautifully and i think that's one of the keys to making a really really excellent standout year of horror nights is to have everything feel just perfectly in line and we'll talk about a, a bad example of exactly what i'm talking about there later on but um but but yeah i mean the commercial which is so fabulous um of the two victims spinning around on sort of a, a playground set and then revealing that in cages are Walking Dead walkers, are Freddy, are Jason, and the fact that there truly was, and you could still find it on YouTube to this day, a third cage with Ghostface in it. It, it's, uh, it is heartbreaking, truly. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Um, like we talked about previously, this did bring back an American werewolf in London, but usually on anniversary years, they did one for HHN 20. And now five years later, they're doing it with Jack presents 25 years monsters and mayhem. That's a big house for a lot of people. I know a lot of people, including myself, made it a point to come out for the 25th year. And this house was actually a big selling point for those of us that have been following HHN history for a long time. I, I have been personally following HHN since the <laughs> since the Travel Channel documentary, believe it or not. The Art of the Scare is, is how I became exposed to this and following it for several years. And actually, one of my first houses at the event, being able to go in and see recreations of these beloved houses over the last so many years um ss Fritanic and the forsaken the universal monsters representation gothic which we mentioned earlier being able to walk through all that was pretty awesome and especially considering that you had jack showing up throughout it jack being the most recognizable icon out of the entire bunch pretty awesome stuff that's a really, really fascinating, endearing perspective when it comes to that haunted house, because you would assume that, you know, the design of it is, hey, put on your nostalgia glasses, folks, you know, all of you neckbeards that have been coming for so long, like, let's come and see these same scenes again. But what you're saying is that for someone that had been following the event and had not been there in person, that this was like a dream come true for, oh my god, these houses that I've only seen little video clips of with terrible low light, now I get to <laughs> truly be in these scenes again. I mean, that's it's, it's amazing, honestly. 
Yeah, the fact is that I did not watch any of the house walkthroughs before attending the event this year because I I wanted to be surprised. The only one that I had an idea of what I was walking into was actually American Werewolf in London. Just like I said, it's my favorite horror film. So I definitely had to. That is the house that brought me to the event. The fact that they brought it back, it was like, man, I've got to go check out this. But Jack Presents was a huge part of that. And being able to see, for instance, Nightingale's Blood Prey, the giant scene with the tank and the jumping nightingale um, that, that pretty much made the event for me being able to step back into that history. And when you're also talking about HHN history, I feel like a lot of people think of the body collectors and we had a body collectors house that year. Uh, body collectors recollections was one of the first mashup houses that they did, at least on such a big scale with, well, the body collectors, and also taking place in Shadybrook Asylum, which was a huge setting throughout HHN for several years. So pretty cool that you kind of got all these bits. And, oh, and run. You had all these bits of HHN history coming together for the big 25th anniversary. I, I and let's think... not forget about everyone's favorite haunted house, Asylum in Wonderland 3D. Don't leave that out. Come I, on. Uh, in the Shrek Theater. Um, no, I, I, I think the point that both of you are making is that for being a huge anniversary year for being the 25th year, this felt like there was real planning put into this, that it wasn't like, oops, it caught us off guard. This is the 25th year. Let's throw some stuff together. Everything felt like there was a purpose to it. Not every house was five stars by any means, but it felt like there was a, an actual decent amount of thought put into the whole event from top to bottom, especially asylum in wonderland 3d. Like can't get over enough. The production value alone not insulting in any way. When you come to 3D houses, I mean, you don't have a lot that you can pick from. So, you know, Asylums, I mean, sure, you could say the in-between was better. Um, but, you know, Asylum and Wonderland, as far as 3D, right? Like, it's all right for what it is. That's fair. I mean, I think better in concept than in execution, but the in-between is 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 uh, uh, truly an iconic 3D haunted house. So... Uh, to make to kind of round out the point that we're making here about 25 because we're making video game analogies and I think we can make another one right here that as opposed to maybe like for example these big Japanese action RPGs that have like 20 iterations of them have had like 20 games in the series and so they're intimidating for a lot of people like I would imagine Howie Horror Nights might be intimidating to a lot of people like I don't know who these icons are um, I've never been before I've never seen any of these. I think that this is a fabulous jumping off year for people, just like a lot of times video games will do that. They'll be like, oh, this is Final Fantasy 15, and it's a great jumping off point. You could just jump in. You don't have to play the previous ones. And I, I think that it's it's a fabulous year to have welcomed in with open arms brand new Horror Nights freaks, obsessives, um, soon to be rather, uh, who could learn about these characters and about these previous properties without feeling like they're out of the loop. Yeah, and I actually think that is part of the reason we do not have icons anymore. Um, I do think it's kind of a double-edged sword, but for the most part, you've got to consider that, especially since 25, and particularly in the last two years, the event has grown so very much. And a lot of people, I'm not saying that icon intimidation is, is anything anybody should be concerned about, but the truth is that kind of mentality was very much designed 
with local fans and minds. Like it is something to engage that audience or the hardcore fan base. And the truth is the event has kind of outgrown that hardcore fan base. I still think it's wonderful that they do so much to accommodate to that, whether that is having little throwbacks to legendary truth or shady Brook asylum, or just throwbacks to houses like Nightingale's last year. But I think we've kind of, we've gone past that that icon era for a reason and this was kind of the turning point for that mm-hmm. well i i think that in sort of rounding out because you did have a lot of fantastic houses this year i mean uh freddie versus jason again we're talking about like reliving the past i mean for people who never got to do uh who never got to go to 2007 and never got to do the you know nightmare on elm street and the friday the 13th houses um at hhn 17 this was a fantastic house like it really was like a a coming home party for a lot of people um run i mean things like that it's uh and and people forget that uh insidious had its own house i feel like people assume oh yeah insidious just had that scene in uh horrors of blumhouse but i think people sometimes forget like no it had a full house there it was yeah it was great and uh this year is notorious for just having one of the worst applications of an ip with the walking dead that year um (laughs) just really bad execution of the walking dead but um you know you mentioned freddy versus jason and that is kind of along the lines of what we were talking about previously where that is their classic horror along with american werewolf which was redone but um with freddy versus jason they kind of just mashed up the two properties they didn't really base it on the movie itself Personally, I want flaming machete Jason in the middle of a cornfield. Uh, I, I don't imagine what you have to go through to get that approved in a soundstage, but hopefully you can pull it off. But they did do cool stuff like they did the underwater scene and everything like that. Um, personally, I felt like that house kind of fell on its face towards towards the end of it. But to your point, Zach, like you mentioned earlier, this is pretty cool because the maze did have alternating endings Mm -hmm. and they did swap between Freddie and Jason winning on, you know, kind of like the 45 set basis. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of Freddy versus Jason scenes that I would want. I mean, I want Freddy to be uh, flinging Jason around the boiler room while there's pinball noises being made. Um, I think that would be really good. Um, I want uh, I want the stoner character uh, to be getting high and then seeing like a little Freddy worm out of the corner of his eye. Why do we have Got your nose? <laughs> uh, movies are supposed Fabulous. to have dignity. What are we doing right now? <laughs> yeah. So twenty five fabulous year. Uh, any final points, Mister Hunter Ghost, before we move past it? Um, One of the cool things, you know, just talking a lot about horror and something that we all appreciate here, but one of the coolest scare zones that I had personally gone into was featured here, and that was All Night Die-In. We were just talking about Freddy and Jason, but something that was really, really cool is they had the classic black and white monster characters, Universal and others, but then they also had the modern icon, modern from like the 80s going forward icons like your Freddy and Jason and Chucky and Tiffany and even like the strangers. I just thought that was like a really cool idea for a scare zone. And the fact that it alternated constantly being able to just kind of walk through a slice of horror history on any given night was, was pretty cool. Absolutely. Um, So moving right along, we went into a year that I think uh, piled right off of the popularity of, of 25 in terms of how they uh, marketed it. 
um, in terms of the ideas they went into on the streets. And that would be 26. So let's talk about 26. So 26 is interesting because the thing that I always think of is they really went all out with the classic horror representation for this year. They brought Halloween 2. Here it was called Halloween Hell Comes to Haddonfield. You had the original 1974, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then you had The Exorcist. So like huge heavy hitters here. You had the return of Michael Myers, Reagan making her official debut, and then uh, Leatherface coming back for the first time since 17, so almost 10 years. Big, big heavy hitters here. Well, so a couple of things. Number one, I think it was interesting that after we've seen the success of American Werewolf in London, and now they're just going, okay, let's pick a house, and it's just you're 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 writing the movie. That was the old Universal saying. We some ad executive got paid a lot of money to go. What what if you walked through the movie? Um, so I find it interesting that now it's like, oh, we should go back to the other houses we did before on movies, on IPs and do a walkthrough kind of thing. Cause the whole like sales pitch was like, oh, every scene, every kill from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre original, you're going to get to experience now. Um, but Hunter, you mentioned moving beyond icons as a, as a theme for, for a year. Um, 20, uh, yeah, 26 had chance who was. Jack's sidekick from the last year as the icon for this particular year. Um, what are your thoughts on having sequel years? Like this, this event was the sequel to the last and kind of had like a Robin becoming Batman in terms of an icon (laughs) in this last sort of era. Yeah. And it's not to say the icon era is officially dead, but like, I do think it's incredibly cool that this event served as a direct sequel to Jack's year after, you know, chance was captured and locked up and she has a whole maze, you know, oriented around that. But I think this is definitely 25 was kind of the end of the big like icon era because while chance got a house, um, (laughs) to be frank, it wasn't very good. Uh, Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, um, but they did very interesting things with her marketing. And this is where, like, you can see them kind of stretching. Like, if I remember correctly, this is where they were presenting, like, American Horror Story and The Walking Dead are the nightmares that take place in Chance's Mind, along with Krampus releasing uh, last year. You know, like that <laughs> sort of thing. But um, I, I think Chance was utilized, but she wasn't utilized quite enough where people remember this as part of the icon years like say what you will about lady luck um some people love lady luck i think she's great but like she was intricately involved in every backstory for the house that year chance didn't get that you kind of got her laughter on the soundtrack throughout the event and some marketing you had the house in the scare zone right at the front of the park but like the representation was not nearly on the same level of even jack the year prior yeah. yeah, I mean, the argument can be there. I mean, a lot of people argue like, oh, well, Lady Luck put the nail in the coffin of icons because she was such a terrible icon that no one even knew she existed and you had to go down Sting Alley. Most guests don't even know what that is um, to even see her represented. Um, but, uh, you know, so I think they learned from that mistake at least by putting Chance's uh, haunt right at the beginning, her scare zone. So, um I mean, it's an interesting year because, as you said, there's a lot of balance there. There's a lot of really, really excellent originals like Tomb of the Ancients. Um, And then you have just a ton, a ton, a ton of uh, representation of these old horror properties. Um, 
the streets are also something that people talk about a lot when it comes to this year. I mean, we would be remiss to not mention Vamp 55, which I know your co-host Shelby feels very strongly about. Yeah, Vamp 55 is so interesting because that is the first scare zone that I myself personally just spent a a ton of time sitting around and watching. Um, Because what was interesting about Vamp 55 is you had two very distinct casts. You had cast A, um, I might be flipping these two. And if, if you're listening, good friend, who I know you probably are, then <laughs> I'm, I apologize for mixing them up. But Cast A kind of played it a little bit more goofy. It's a B-movie concept, so they decided to be uh, more <laughs> lackadaisical or jokey with it. And then Cast B played it very straight and very serious. And I think that's part of the charm of Vamp 55 is that that concept, as far as vampires attacking a homecoming parade... You could play it either way, right? Like it could go in any direction that you'd like it to. And I think that it's a really cool scare zone. There's a reason it was remembered so fondly and they've done sequels to it. Personally, I think they're due for a house as far as like a vamp throwback. But uh, yeah, there's a huge reason people remember that one. And then you're also talking about Survivor Die, uh, which was very different. That was in the New York section that year. And that was very post-apocalyptic. Mad Max-ish type vibes. You know, Fury Road had just released the year prior. So kind of tying into that. Um, some interesting stuff done in the zones this year. Now, I have a question. And this I don't know if this is like a deep cut or if maybe like no one's uh, figured out, um, you know, the, the financial records for Universal proper. How come no one uh, sued them for doing The Walking Dead again when there was a house four houses ago called End of the Line? How come how come that was allowed? <laughs> um personally I think we were all just terrified. Like we saw what they did with Scream the year before and we were like, "Oh man, we don't want to get put out to pasture too." <laughs> we, we we know the true power of horror nights. We know how they can act something, and that includes us as guests. So Ex- Exactly. All right. So so moving right along, let's jump into 27 here. Um 27 we saw the sequel to American Horror Story. Uh, we saw some other classic properties. So please, I mean, jump us off here. What what was significant about 27? So it's pretty momentous that we're recording today because today is the 40th anniversary of The Shining. Mm. Or, you know, uh, the 40th anniversary of, of me coming to you as a ghost Whoa. to talk to you. So, uh, uh, but um, yes, The Shining turning 40 today. But yes, th- what was very cool about The Exorcist the year prior is that it allowed them to, I feel like maybe it was a bit of a challenge for them. You know, Halloween, you can follow beat by beat and and do that in a house. Uh, American Werewolf in London, you have several distinct settings. The Exorcist takes place predominantly in one room or like kind of a confined solitary space. So when they came to The Shining, how do you do this? iconic property while being very respectful while still making it a haunted house. And I honestly feel without the exorcist, they would not have been able to execute the shining nearly as well as what they actually did. And I think there's a reason people remember this house so fondly, not only is the shining iconic, but I I really think they did everything they could to give that property the best possible treatment that it could. And they made it a major deal. It was one of the marquee houses that year. And I did bring a bunch of classic horror people yet again into the event. 
Now, uh, I think we're going to have a little bit of beef here because I know that uh, from from what I hear, Hunter, and and, and I and you are a nine foot tall ghost, so I, I I'm I'm a little scared stepping to you on this, but you have a real issue with the saw haunted houses at Halloween Horror Nights, it seems. So keep in mind, like I did not see the original Saw um, as far as when it was featured at the event. The last time it was featured was at the Jaws queue, and that was long after I had, uh, or excuse me, that was long before I had a chance to show up. But yeah, I I do not like the games of Jigsaw House that was featured this year. Constantly had a wait. It was at the front of the park. It was in the Shrek Theater, which is fine, whatever. You know, Shrek Theater has been used since 25 at that point but the problem with saw is that saw is so overtly timing related when it comes to the traps that if you were not right on schedule if you did not make it right on time to see that trap go off it was a pretty uneventful house unfortunately and i think saw unfortunately just does not lend itself to a haunted house very effectively at least in the style of halloween horror nights maybe if you are pulsing or going room by room, that works great, especially in escape room. Saw doesn't work in HHN conga line formation, unfortunately. I can see that. One thing I wanted to mention about the Shining House, by the way, is I there's a part of me that's impressed with uh, particularly uh, Big Ups to Orlando version that it started somewhat more psychological than just jump scares. Like there's jump scares right from the beginning. But my point is like, we see the pages that say all work and no play. And it's like climbing up the wall and we're seeing like just inventive ideas and not just going like just spamming the Jack Nicholson button right from the get go that we, they gave an effort to try to be like, Hey, there's some weird mental stuff in this movie. We should probably try to incorporate that a little bit. Um, it doesn't last, yeah. but I like that. At least they tried. Look, the fact that they put Blowjob Dog in a, uh, in a Merrill Maze. Yeah, like he's, I mean, what else could you ask for? In a that's house? true. I mean, that's I'm, all I want. I just wanted him from start to finish. The The thing that upset me was that you couldn't get the VIP ticket to have it blow you and confuse <laughs> a frightened woman. That's the only thing that was a downfall of that. <laughs> Yeah, Personally, I mean, uh, I mean, you know, the Movie Land Hotel, like right next to Universal, <laughs> can probably supply that to you anytime. That's an right escape next to room. the Gremlin poster room. That's an escape room I'll never leave. What What I wanted, truly, I mean, I think the scariest part of this is if you had real life Shelley Duvall there, just screaming and, and just like talking about how the Illuminati is after her. I think that would be, I mean, that that would be terrifying, honestly. I uh, I was very disappointed the first time I walked through and her trigger wasn't just, hi, I'm Shelly Duvall. That's just true. Numerous <laughs> times throughout. Or, or that you didn't turn a corner and there was a character actor uh, dressed as Stanley Kubrick just verbally abusing <laughs> Shelly Duvall, the actress. And, yeah. you're just, and it's not even a jump scare. Everyone's just really uncomfortable when you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You didn't do that to Jack Nicholson. What's the deal here, bud? Like. Stanley Back Kubrick, so, uh, real life Stanley Kubrick is waiting at the at the exit of the haunted house and he makes you go through it as many times as he sees fit until you do it right. Until he gets the right cut. Yeah, I mean, it was really a surprise when I exited The Shining the first time. And you know how sometimes they do like those hidden away scares. Like, yes, you think you're done and then the killer comes back one more time. The, the one that comes to mind for me is Michael Myers from 24. I was very displeased to learn that they had a Stanley Kubrick lookalike about five minutes after I exited the maze just calling me a fat fuck. Um, it like it really <laughs> shook me 
for the rest of the night, and I, I never really bounce back. It's, uh, you know, it's th- those are the types of scares that really stick with us. The scares yeah, really that keep us deep. up at night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I still, you know, I, I called and I talked to my dad for the first time in 20 years after wow. that. So maybe maybe That's it was what scare. I needed. Yeah, um, it, it came with you. So um, uh, now 27, it, it did a couple things that I liked, a couple things I didn't like. I mean... Altars of Horror sort of right in, in between because I like the idea a lot of, um, you know, hey, here's a little taste of everything that's going to be featured in the park this year. Here's all the houses you're going to go in. And as we said, I am a huge Evil Dead fan, so I was really happy with the Ash vs. Evil Head house. I mean, a lot of people didn't love it, but again, there is always going to be, ultimately, despite your best efforts to be objective about a haunted house, uh, that love for a property that's going to just kind of push it over the edge for you. So Yeah, when I think of 27, I, unfortunately, talking about the last five years, I, I think 27 is probably the weakest of the bunch, and that's not to say it's a bad year by any means. It's, it's pretty good when you're looking at the lineup here. You know, you almost have a half-and-half half split. It's a five-to-nine split between originals, and IPs, and whether or not you like Ash vs. Evil Dead, myself personally, I love it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, some of the greatest sound triggers ever featured at the event. Yes. But a lot of people, when they think about this year, they do think about the two originals, um, and that is Scarecrow the Reaping and Dead Waters. Dead Waters, just because one of the most visually impressive maze mazes just featured at the event, it really took the groundwork that was set by... Uh, ghost town the curse of lightning gulch the year prior and and built upon that especially with the riverboat and everything like that but scarecrow the reaping for a lot of people is one of the scariest houses ever implemented at the event um just really unsettled people to its (laughs) to their core and that is just due to having a great cast having a great idea and just having great execution all around yeah, I mean, um, and, and not to forget about uh, some other sort of seminal things about this event. I mean, you had a trick-or-treat scare zone, which we'll see revisited later. But trick-or-treat was a property that uh, has been like a, even though it's fairly modern, like a cult classic Halloween movie for a lot of people that they would have loved to see at Horror Nights. So that was really, really popular. Um, I also appreciate the, appreciate the honesty of Universal Studios this year. Like they were really like, it takes a lot for a corporation to be really, really honest with fans. And so for them to just make a house, just going, I don't know, man, all the Blumhouse movies are the fucking same. I don't care. That's pretty (laughs) impressive to make that a theme for a haunted attraction. Insidious, uh, sinister up the, whatever. They're all there. Whatever. They're there. It's a, it's the Blumhouse warehouse. All right. Enjoy. That's impressive to me. This is also important to note. You're bringing them up. Zach is that, uh, this this year is where the purge replaced yet another property because th- the purge section of that house was originally supposed to be uh, Ouija and that fell apart for some reason or they got skittish by the idea of them doing something involving Ouija. But I don't know what the fuck they were deciding, but um, they, they shoved the purge in there for two rooms and you just kind of went in there and you're like, oh, it's, it's the purge again. And you also had the purge as a scare zone returning to New York this year as well. So you you kind of had dual purge going on. You know, in those backlot tours, I really hope that they show the giant red button behind glass that says, in case of emergency, shove the purge in. That's, <laughs> I, that's, a, that's a landmark I want to see. There were uh, two replacements this year because Hive was uh, supposedly going to be a conjuring house. 
Yeah, and I will say this. This is my controversial take of the Uh-oh. evening. I actually like House. Uh, or excuse me, I love, well, I love House. Excuse me. But uh, <laughs> I, I, like, love, I love one, too, and I think haunted. three is pretty underrated. Um, four is garbage. But <laughs> glad yeah. we're all on the same page. Yeah, it could be excellent <laughs> houses, though. All could be great houses. Yeah. Oh, man. House is like the top of my IP wish list because like, (laughs) (laughs) no joke, like house one and two. All I'm saying is more houses need baby pterodactyls. Like, come on. That's true. Um, But anyways, or or Bill Maher trying to like, fuck your girl. Like he's just like, what's the problem? He just comes. I don't know. I don't know why you guys aren't concerned about that. That's personally happening this entire time. Oh, no. Oh, gosh. Bill Maher waited for you to die, Hunter, so he could steal your girl that like 60 year old like douchey comedian we're just waiting just biding his time also army ghost that could say you're really pissing me off that's a great scare look when bill maher is not at the holy land experience he's just standing by waiting to fuck every one of our guys yeah no it's true i mean uh i I think if that was the marketing for next year was horror nights 30 you're gonna get cucked out by bill maher um i think that would be again we're talking real life scares here no zombies no vampires we're talking getting cucked out by bill maher so so i think i think hunter you were saying something about the house hive i think that yes (laughs) this is my controversial opinion of the evening i actually really liked hive i thought hive was a pretty cool concept and just going through it, I'm kind of glad it wasn't the conjuring house because like looking at it, I feel like the conjuring has reached a level where it is so iconic. It does deserve one of those big, like soundstage, super elaborate houses and hive coming in, maybe push that back just enough where the conjuring is going to get its due later on. Hmm. Well, uh, cruising right along, because we are in overtime here, boys, and I can see Hunter's ethereal ghostly form is sort of flickering, much like Marty McFly when he starts to resolve things. Um, I I want to move right ahead to 28, 2018, um, where we saw yet another humongo, gigantic property designed to bring in more guests to the event who had possibly never been to Horror Nights before. So please take it away. This is the year that changed everything. Like, no joke. Like, HHN will probably never be the same after this. But I do think they're going to have a problem, which we're going to address coming up in just a moment. But uh, Stranger Things. Stranger Things, massive, massive grab. And being perfectly honest, this was the year I had a fear of being completely left out because I had avoided Stranger Things, not intentionally, but I just don't really watch series that much. I'm more of a movie guy. And uh, I, I almost completely missed out on the Stranger Things thing. So this gave me the reason to sit down and, and check it out. And man, I, I just don't think you can undervalue what this uh, house did for the event. It's the only house that was ever opened again after the actual event closed. And I think for those reasons alone, you can just see how big of a grab this thing was. Yeah, and don't feel alone, Hunter, because uh, uh, much like you said about missing out on Stranger Things, uh, Zach has never watched anything that was released after 1997, so uh, he also uh, was feeling pretty left out of all the hullabaloo, like, uh, now what are these? Is this some sort of E.T. attraction? All these kids on their bicycles? I don't even know. (laughs) I'm... 
suddenly old and from the Midwest, according to that impression. Um, also, <laughs> I, I'm very impressed with the tagline, again, of the second Horrors of Blumhouse House. The haunted minds behind Happy Death Day and The First Purge have farted out another horror house. <laughs> Will you demand a refund? That's pretty ballsy. You know, that house is bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's real bad. But when you are talking about 10 haunted houses, there's one I just out, outright did not like, which was that one. And then Halloween 4, which is a shame because I think Halloween 4 has a lot of pros as far as its place in the franchise. Um, Halloween you 4. You don't like one. hearing Dr. Loomis go, no, no. <laughs> That's my. That's actually my favorite enti- line in like the entire series. To be perfectly honest, <laughs> I I actually have it right above my ass crack. Um, <laughs> oh my, classy! <laughs> it uh, you know, it completely establishes the mood for now, when Bill Bill Maher walks in. But um, now, now I do have a question though. Why did we skip Halloween three? Like I get okay, I get that it's not. It doesn't have anything to do with Michael Myers. I get that, but it is going you just through answered such a your own cycle. question. But it's gone through such a cycle from being hated to now it's gotten super cult status to now there's insane people who say that it's better than the original. Like, there's clearly a demographic that wants it. So you don't have to call it Halloween 3. Call it Silver Shamrock brought to you by Blumhouse. Whatever. But th- th- it, there's potential there, at least for the creepy crawly bug effects and the, are... and the, the catchy sign, the, you know, theme song. We are one step around, uh, like we are one step away from having Silver Shamrock Shake season at your local McDonald's every Halloween. Mm-hmm. Right there, you go. Thing. But Zach, uh, so I am a huge fan of Halloween three. Actually, I there love it. I, I'm not one of those crazy people. I put it below Halloween one and two as, as far as like my franchise rankings. But um, you 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 did answer your own question there. It's so keep in mind this was the 40th anniversary of Halloween. They could not secure Blumhouse's Halloween sequel. So they're like, okay, how do we get Michael Myers? And for that, they did Halloween 4. I think Halloween 3 would be great. I think you could make a pretty awesome kick-ass haunted house out of it. But you're also talking about a very hardcore horror audience that knows that property. I, I don't think we ever see it come to the event, unfortunately. Yeah, it is a shame. I mean, you know, I do really, really like Halloween 3 as well. But, uh, I mean, the problem is it it really would uh, ruin everyone to have a Halloween haunted house and have every, you know, casual walking in the park thinking, okay, well, here I get to see Michael Myers again. You're going to be sorely disappointed. And also... You're going to watch your children die in front of you. Their faces are going to melt. And that's really the the primary horror of there's not a lot of ghosts and ghouls jumping out. It's a lot of just shadowy organization. And also your firstborn son is melting in the living room and snakes and spiders are coming out of his face. (laughs) Okay. Okay. That's a great point. And before we move on to more important things to that, I debate you. As soon as you walk into the haunted attraction, you see a man with no emotion set himself on fire in a car. That's going to send some shivers down some spines. Number two, you see a very stupid old man explain away every question from a film by going, Stonehenge, we had a heck of a time getting that. And you go, wait, what does that mean? And then they just push you out of the house. Perfect. Perfect scares. The less you think about it, you know, the more sense it makes. That's and, the uh, tagline of the house. 
Yeah, I, I personally cannot wait to stay overnight in a hotel in the middle of the haunted house. <laughs> and have Tom Atkins put the moves on you. That's what people yeah. want. They're going to put you on a shuttle and take you to the Movie Land Hotel on iDrive. <laughs> and then there's going to be a guy in a bear costume, and you're going to scare an old man. Now, one thing I did want to mention, um, that Trick or Treat got the upgrade this year. It went, it moved from Scare Zone to Full House. Yeah, um, it 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 only happened a few times prior, and it did actually happen the year following this as well. But the one I think of is uh, at HHN 21, Saws and Steam did become from a scare zone to a haunted house. But this kind of upgrade, if you want to view it that way, has been affectionately referred to as getting a tricker treatment um, ever since. So, yeah. Uh, bing, bong, bing. So I love this movie. I actually have, I have Sam tattooed on my leg. Like I love trick or treat. I love Sam. But the thing is, I kind of wish I liked this house more. It's unfortunate because I like it because I love, for me, Halloween is classic Halloween. I love jack-o'-lanterns. I love candy. I love trick or treating. That whole aesthetic is mine uh, as far as what I look for in Halloween. And I wish trick or treat was just a little bit better it still ended up pretty high on my like ranking list but it wasn't quite like the home run that i was hoping it would have been yeah i mean it's got all the elements there so it's it's really sort of odd why it just didn't click for a lot of people which is how i feel a lot of people uh express their feelings for it they don't say oh i didn't like this about it or i didn't like this element they're just like i, I don't know i mean it's just it wasn't it wasn't all there for me because all the elements are there. You got old man wrestling with a puppet of Sam. You've got uh, a recycled American werewolf puppet. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, sexy Snow White and Cinderella turning into werewolves. Um, it, it's it's all there. And you've got big set pieces, too. You've got like the bus at the end, you know, in the in the ditch. Um but for some reason, it's I don't know why it just didn't quite I think stick the landing I, for me. I think personally i would have preferred this house to have followed the story of the movie i think if you start with mr craig like you're starting off on such a high note that the rest of the maze is kind of a decline from that except when you get to the the werewolf orgy um so maybe that kind of plays into it i just wish i feel like it it landed but it kind of stumbled when it landed unfortunately yeah um i mean that said you would mention Poltergeist, obviously very fantastic house. Um, we had another Scary Tales sequel. Um, we had Slaughter Cinema, you had also mentioned. Um, let's also talk another sequel here. We had, again, to reference your co-host, we had Vamp come back. Vamp 85, New Year's Eve on the New York streets. Yeah, and this is kind of in the same situation of Trick or Treat, unfortunately. I feel like this is one of those things people were very, very excited for, but didn't quite get there 100%. And I think that's because you do have this iconic setting with the 80s, right? And the soundtrack was kicking, everything was great. But I think it really comes down to, in this case, I, I personally just don't think the cast was as engaging as what we had seen two years prior with 55. And maybe that's the reason this one did not kind of go all the distance for a lot of people. Well, and also I think just the the, the setup is trickier. When you do the, the 1955, you know, it's Grease with Vampires. That's an interesting idea. For 85, unless they were all doing blood coke, it doesn't really capture the time nearly as well 
you know. Yeah, yeah, and they kind of tried to circumvent that by doing celebrity lookalikes and everything like that. Like, I think it was pretty great that they made Boy George into a vampire in a scare zone. Like, that's awesome. Uh, And, you know, you had Prince and Michael Jackson, and but it just, it wasn't quite there. It's not the worst New York zone by any means, but I think, unfortunately, over the last couple years, we've seen declining returns with the New York scare zone. And hopefully for the big 30, if we've got, well, who knows now, but hopefully at some point we have the triumphant return of something on this, excuse me, something on the scale of like the psychoscarapy zone from 25. Yeah, I heard actually a rumor that uh, for this upcoming year, there's going to be a street sort of as a sequel to the vamp. Michael Jackson's going to be a leaving Neverland, but vampires. Why would Uh, you? Oh, yeah. Why would you make a reference like that? Like, what? (laughs) Do you know me? You're you're insulting. You were insulting our ghost guest. Why would you do that? Okay. All right. Fine. 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 So, um, I was actually cast as uh, Macaulay Culkin. Okay. (laughs) Hey, ghost guest. Why are you insulting me now? I don't like either of you. Um. Um. well, oh, we didn't even mention. Uh, so the streets were honestly, uh, I mean, uh, there is a shirt sold just for the streets this year because I think they knew that they were going to be so incredibly popular because pretty much almost every single street is an absolute banger. I mean, Killer Clowns, uh, you know, once again, we're talking sequels here, but um, but but Killer Clowns, uh, seeing those costumes and having that be almost like a photo op space, I mean, that redefined the event for a lot of people where they're like, this is so much fun. I am hanging out on the streets all night because every single zone is so fun. It's like a party. So let me tell you guys something um, that, that you have probably noticed about the HHN community, but I am definitely just like <laughs> constantly being involved in it, is that Killer Clowns, So I did not actually watch Killer Clowns for the first time until it was confirmed that it was coming to the event. It is just one that was kind of on the radar, but like I never put the effort towards seeking it out. But something that HHN fans are really good at doing is whenever like a cult property is announced or like some 80s property, they pretend that they've like always loved it and like they've always treasured it. And Killer Clowns was like the absolute epitome of that. And thankfully, it was an awesome zone. But I really saw that come out in full force with Killer Clowns. That suddenly everyone's the the greatest Killer Clown fan that's ever been. Like, yeah, look at this. I I got this Killer Clown shirt back when the movie came out and not when Fright Rags made a line of it last year. (laughs) They finally got my letters. And now there's Killer Clowns. I will say this is the first time I actually ever ended, speaking of Killer Clowns, this is the first time I had ever ended one of my event years in a scare zone, though. I really became close to that scare zone by the end of it. My last house was Carnival Graveyard, which was an awesome original house. I mean, you can't go wrong with just grungy carnies attacking you with wrenches and all sorts of shit. But Killer Clowns was the greatest like party atmosphere and uh, it was awesome to hang out in there. Now, it's interesting that you bring that up because that leads us to the next year, uh, which had the uh, Rob Zombie Hellbilly Deluxe photo op section. Um, not so much a scare zone, a selfie zone. Um, and I'm curious. I want to I ask everybody here. How do we feel about that? How do we feel about these zones that are very well lit? that are built for photos, you know, cause there's been many of them where it's in that same area around disaster around the ghost of the jaws ride where, you know, 
you can just kind of go there. The characters aren't really jumping up your butthole. It's just sort of like, oh, you want to take a picture with Freddy? Oh, that's fine. You can take a picture with Freddy. How do we feel about that in the greater puzzle that is a Halloween Horror Nights event? I think that social media is so important. Like, you kind of have to have a zone to do that nowadays. If you do not give people that in the streets, then they're pretty much just going to do it wherever they want. And to your credit, I think HHN 25 is the one that started that with All Night Diane. And then 26, they kind of stepped back on it a little bit. I mean, maybe a chance in hell was kind of just due to chance being the icon that year. That was kind of where a lot of people were taking pictures, but then you had altars of horror and you had clowns. I think you have to give something for people to document and hellbilly was definitely one of those zones last year. Yeah. Now, obviously we're, we're talking now fully about 29 and to answer your question, Zach, I mean, it's a shame because it's so effective building something that is really a nice photo op because that's just, who we are as millennials or, or whatever we are now. Um, we like being able to have a good photo. We like having something to throw on Instagram or whatever. And I think like year, uh, year 20, well, for me was a big one with that, with uh, the icons on that they had the year where they truly were a photo op. I mean, I talked to one of the women that played chance in that zone. And a lot of those actors were upset that they weren't getting paid like meet and greet wages to be in that zone because that's what they that's were. What they were. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one of those things, whether that's from HHN 20, where we are uploading like our 0.5 megabyte photo to Facebook and we just kind of have a blurry mess on our screen or uh, nowadays where it's full 4k quality, us rocking out in the hellbilly zone. Right. 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 Well, um, as I see uh, Hunter's form sort of flickering and fading out here, we, we have to get through 29, and we have to ask him this question before he goes. I mean, we don't want to lose this chance. I mean, this is the other realm. I mean, do we, do you, Zach, do you think we should ask him any questions about what it's like on the other side, or should we just. We have one question. We have a, an, an un, unbridled opportunity here to gaze into the great abyss. And so I feel like before we move any further, we have to ask Ghost of Hunter. What are your what's your favorite house and what's your least favorite house in like all of Halloween Horror Nights? Like which one was really good and which one was dog do? Um, so my favorite house was actually it was Ghost Town, the Curse of Lightning Gulch from HHN twenty six. I think that that house is. I, I don't go to HHN to be frightened most of the time. I go there to hang out and have a great time. If I want to be frightened. Um, Go go to. I'd, a I'd look in the like, mirror. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, again, I, why why insult the ghost? No, why, I'm, I'm sorry, ghost. Please, no, I, I don't don't hurt me. <laughs> um, but yeah, Ghost Town, the Curse of Lightning Gulch, absolutely love it. Who doesn't love a good ghostly cowboy house? And then for my worst house, it is actually Lunatics Playground 3D. You won't stand a chance from that same year. I. Uh, there's nothing redeemable about that house. Say what you will about Blumhouse, but at least you had a pretty decent sinister section and there was a great little finale. Lunatics Playground had none of that, guys. Oh, man. Awful. At least the title uh, gave an accurate picture. I mean, you won't stand a chance of enjoying the haunted house. You will <laughs> Of being entertained in any real meaningful way. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so Horror Nights 29, um, we saw a lot of great things. A sequel to Stranger Things, 
Um, we saw a lot of beloved properties. Uh, please take it away as you fade from this mortal coil. Tell us everything about 29. So you had Stranger Things coming back, just not as good or anywhere near as good. Um, you had the Nightingales the coming. Line. Yeah, Stranger Things too, not as good, but you'll still wait 120 fucking minutes for it. Um, you had Universal Monsters, which was awesome. You know, this is actually one of the the things that they took from HHN Hollywood. I believe it was Crash McCreary who did kind of a modern redesign of the Universal Monsters two year or excuse me, the year prior. And they brought that over to us. And I think this is the perfect example of what to do with classic horror at this point. They did such a great job of modernizing those classic monster characters and bringing them in. And this house rocks. Uh, like, uh, you won't, it's my second favorite house of all time, if I have to pick. Yeah, Deaths of Fear, which I get what they were going for. It didn't quite work, in my opinion, but it was there. Um, but for me, being a big fan of this film, Ghostbusters was the big classic horror film this year horror adjacent if you want to use that but yeah this is i can definitely see this kind of being the template for houses kind of going forward you know you have the rumors that this is going to kind of be slotted in with beetlejuice this year um but ghostbusters really said hey here's something that you love here's how we can make it into a haunted house and uh i don't i i think they were very successful at doing that i, I agree and i think I was arguing once going through it that like that shouldn't be just relegated to Halloween Horror Nights because it truly felt like a return of, hey, remember when we used to have a Ghostbusters show here? Like it, That's what it really felt like. There were still jump scares and, and things like that, but it really felt like an, an enjoyable experience that you could kind of take the whole family through. And okay, yeah. guys, all right, fine. Yeah, yeah, the legacy of Ghostbusters, yeah, yeah, yada, 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 yada. Let's get to the real point. Dana Azul on the slab. There was a, I'm 30 something years old. I had another sexual awakening just seeing that. And then Rick Moranis jumped out and then I came. So there you go. Like I, I, I made the mess in that house. It was, it was very spooky. You slimed he, yourself. He, uh, <laughs> he looked you in the eyes and he's like, Oh, who brought the dog? And, and then I've said uh, me and the dog <laughs> is ejaculate. Watch out. It's slippery. <laughs> this house though to your to what you were saying like it was so beautiful like you literally just had to build a dark ride track through it and you had the perfect ghostbusters dark ride truly i mean uh i i feel like a, a fantasy of mine would really be a uh a men in black and maybe uh men in black meets maybe some of the we mentioned them earlier like pack on your back uh, mobile it's not connected to anything like uh laser gun um and building a hunt attraction like that would would or or, or a full stand-in daytime attraction even i think would be absolutely incredible with use of yeah that that is actually that is one that i have been shopping around in my head to nobody that actually exists for for <laughs> quite a few years now is hey if you need to get rid of men in black just just ghostbusters it make our little vehicles like smaller versions of the Ecto-1 and we're just trapping ghosts instead of shooting aliens. Like right. it's perfect. Like just, just do it. You had mentioned uh, Universal Monsters being uh, maybe your favorite house from this year. And uh, I know Zach had mentioned that you feel similarly. I think that a lot of people 
they were really stuck between monsters and graveyard games this year. I was actually a graveyard games man myself. Yeah, I so I felt graveyard games was very very beautiful and like it is one of the perfect culminations of everything HHN does. It's a very beautiful house and it actually had really scary moments throughout. But for me personally, I I like graveyard games quite a bit. But it kind of felt like they said, hey, you guys remember that underground like catacomb section of Poltergeist? What if we did that for the whole house instead? And maybe it just wasn't quite as effective for me with that prior. But I still liked graveyard games. I just it didn't quite reach the love it status. So this year as a whole, and certainly we can mention any of the other haunted houses, but as we're kind of bringing things to a close here. Um, This year as a whole, I felt was so incredibly special. Um, We didn't even mention this when we were talking about the previous year, but uh, there was a bit of 80s aesthetic with the previous year. But in talking about how a great year has a super uniform theme and branding and marketing, that was not last year. Last year, all of its marketing was just, hey, Stranger Things is at the park. Um, which is fine. That's what they needed to do. Um, And then some of the in-park marketing was, hey, 80s. Okay, cool. But then also they had like the melting pumpkin as well was on like a lot of the pass holder shirts and other things. And there was a lot of pumpkin aesthetic. So wasn't a year that necessarily aligned in marketing, but I thought they really just put the nail in the coffin this year of just like an absolutely fabulously marketed. Everything was aligned with itself. I mean, just the marathon of mayhem and like having everything from the store windows that you're seeing when you walk in with the super ultraviolet, you know, the, the purples and blues and the synthwave version of, of the classic monsters and of the other properties we were seeing that year, seeing that all in the marathon of mayhem. I mean, the way everything lined up this year, I thought just made it a really, really, really special year to me, honestly. Yeah, Tian, you actually brought up something, which was that uh, the Marathon of Mayhem. For me, Marathon of Mayhem just blows my mind. Like, it has been how long? Six months now? Almost seven? And I have not gotten over Marathon of Mayhem. And the fact that I will probably never see it again, at least as far as that application of it, breaks my heart because... It is just one of the coolest things I have ever seen. Whether you were talking that Universal Monsters segment with that like chiptune version of Swan Lake that plays, or you're talking about that like dubstep breakdown version of Ghostbusters, it was absolutely incredible. And when I think of HHN 29, you're talking about the aesthetic and the properties that we were just talking about, all of those things coming together in Marathon of Mayhem. That's what I'm going to remember about this year. Well, uh, I mean, don't be sad, Hunter. I mean, we know we're going to get a Lagoon show this year, and, and this time you'll get Billie Eilish over it. So, I okay, mean, come on. Um, cheer yeah. up. All right. <laughs> we're all old. That's great. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, I agree, though. I think having the unified front makes a huge difference in terms of it feeling... And, and, and it's not that every property was an 80s one. You had Us. You had House of a Thousand Corpses. You know, Universal Monsters, although it was a reimagining, they're still not, they weren't like DJs. It wasn't, you know, Monsters of Rock from the 90s again. Yeah, it was uh, just like modern graveyard review. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and the uh, the original houses like Yeti and Graveyard Games weren't necessarily 80s. But the fact that it was like just the bigger park just was 80s 
felt just so conducive. Like to the point where if they did that for the next coming years, I wouldn't be mad if it was like, Hey, it's always, it's, it's perpetually eighties because eighties cinema is so ingrained with slasher films and things along those lines. And was such a boom for movies in, in the horror genre, you, I feel like you could get away with it. It would be justifiable. The only issue that I actually have with these two years being back to back is that the aesthetics, I know 28 was a little bit more like messy, uh, like you were talking about TN, but like Zach, I, I feel like I constantly mix up 28 and 29, not to the point mm. where like I mix up the mazes or anything, but the, the general vibes and like the soundtrack and like even parts of the aesthetic constantly kind of overlap each other where it didn't feel like two very distinct event years. Instead, it felt like one big continuous mm. uh, event year. True. That makes sense. Yeah. So I even mean, if the aesthetic know, choice makes sense, it can, if you did them for five years in a row, eventually it's going to be like, Hey, none of these stand out anymore. Yeah. So I yeah, yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't want one aesthetic to become synonymous with Halloween Horror Night. So I get why, I mean, uh, despite how well it fit these last two years, why, you know, ultimately I, we're to assume that they're going to be changing it up. Yeah. And I think we're kind of, you know, these last two years being so eighties focused, it's, I mean, it's crazy when you put it into these terms, but you know, we are 30 years removed from the beginning of the 90s at this point. So, like, we're going to have to kind of move into that, I think, like Scream and Candyman and even I Know What You Did Last Summer and kind of like, uh, I don't know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like bringing in that aesthetic because I feel like for a lot of people attending the event, they have just as much nostalgia for that stuff as they do the 80s uh, for the last two years. I just hope that, I mean, ultimately, and then all jokes aside, I hope that whatever ends up being the theme this year, I really hope that they go full force with it like they did last year. I mean, like, everything from the Tribute Store to the look of all of the marketing to the look of the merchandise, uh, it just felt, it felt like nothing was done by accident. And it, it's, that's why it felt so special and why it the, the, it's a year that I think will always have a really fun place in my heart. Um, to just be Plus a little just... sincere for a minute. <laughs> Plus, I mean, to be honest, a unified like aesthetic just makes you want to spend a shit ton of money. Like, sure. because you feel like it just, I mean, I feel like horror and kind of collecting go hand in hand mm. in a lot of ways. So you're just like, oh man, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to grab the cups and the hoodie and I'm going to grab the three t-shirts. And like, you just want to have everything line up nicely. Zach's looking around his room. He's like, no, I'm not. Uh, I, no, not, I just that's... looked at uh, I looked at my stack of VHS tapes that I non-ironically am collecting right now and just felt a deep shame. <laughs> um, Ours better on VHS. Right? Thank you. Thank you, that. Ghost. <laughs> you better believe I bought all those cups, though. Well, um, wow, this has been enlightening about the, the modern era of Halloween Horror Nights. And I, I see, like we said, I mean, his... His ghostly form, it's almost vanishing right before us. I think his his dashing looks, he's hes going gray and it's getting kind of sad. And now you got to explain kids why a ghost is dying again in a Muppet movie. But like, that's just how, I don't know, man. It was the depression that, yeah, when he wrote it. That's life and that's death. Uh, so, um, but uh, Ghost of Hunter, I mean, uh, b before you go, is there anything you'd like to plug? 
Sure. Uh, so even though I look like E.T.'s corpse right now, um, I do want to plug, <laughs> if you want to hear more from me, I am the lead host over on the Catacombs of Halloween Horror Nights. We have been covering every event year of Halloween Horror Nights for several years now. So if you want to hear more about each year in depth, go back and check that out. And we have some pretty interesting things coming on down the line. What we've done for this episode that we are about to release is we have taken houses from the last 10 years and with the power of fear, everyone's favorite icon, we are resurrecting those houses, but only in the locations that they appeared in. So mm-hmm. I can't have a soundstage house and a tent location that fear doesn't work like that. He's, you know, he's powerful. He's not that powerful. No, I mean, fair enough. So keep, <laughs> keep an eye out for that. If you're more interested in just general theme park discussion, you can hear me on my project, which is grim grinning hosts, which is a tribute to all things, pop culture, but mostly theme parks uh, on there. We actually just, I got a, together with a bunch of spooky guys and we followed the trend of talking about films that aren't our favorite, but ones that we consider perfect. So we compiled 25 perfect horror films, and we had a lot of fun talking about that. So check that out on Grim Grinning Hosts. And uh, I think that's going to be... Well, no, you can also follow me on Twitter. You can find me <laughs> at tonbrolo 77 H-A-N-B-R-O-L-O-7-7, uh, for all your HHN shitpost-related needs. That sounds like actually a really fascinating episode. I think I'm going to have to check that out myself. But oh my gosh, he's there's some kind of wormhole opening up behind him. And he, he's, he's, he's leaving. Please, uh, anything else that you'd like to say as you leave this mortal realm? Hunter, the ghost of Halloween Horror Nights present. Fuck you, Bill Maher. He's gone. Put it on his tombstone. Put it on his tombstone. Wow. Okay. Wow. Well, that was okay. All right. We (sighs) we we've earned some stripes here, TN. We've we've dealt with two ghosts thus far. Right. And if I know anything about the rule of thirds, that's the only ghost we're going to have to deal with. Exactly. So So let's just take a little breather here. here. Uh, Yeah. (sighs) Okay. Oh my God, Zach. I don't know how much more of this I could take. This is this is a lot, man. This is a lot. We've officially crossed over into cursed episode territory. This is yeah. this is not what I had in mind when we talked about this at the beginning. This is absolutely a cursed episode. If you are listening to this right now, just turn it off. Otherwise, some sort of urban legend guy. Who's the new one? He's got like sirens for heads or something. Yeah. That's the guy. He's going to be outside your window tonight if you keep listening to this episode. Just turn it off. But... Wait a minute, Zach. I mean, one, two. Uh, isn't there still a final specter waiting for us? Oh my God, you're right. A third ghost. He's supposed to be the ghost of Halloween Horror Nights Future, and he's supposed to be the worst one of all. I mean, you remember the movies, especially the Muppets one. He was right. like death incarnate. I mean, he's going to put us in our graves and bury us if we don't. <gasps> is is he here? Hi. Oh. oh. Hey, Dakota. Hi, guys. Dakota, what are you doing here, man? I mean, uh, it's good to see you as always, but, uh, you know, we're, we're expecting like a big scary ghost here. Oh, well, I mean, I hate to tell you this, but it's fucking me. <laughs> Dakota, you, you're, you're the ghost of Halloween Horror Nights Future? Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, well, 
Are, are you here to show us terrifying visions of what is to come if we don't change our ways? No, I'm here to shit all over the bad ideas that come from the Halloween Horror Nights fandom. Okay, well, I'm on board with that. That sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, that sounds pretty good, actually. Okay, yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, well, excellent. Well, um, I guess... Let's just try and get all the nastiness, all the unpleasantness, talking about the future of Halloween Horror Nights out of the way right up at the top by discussing the big elephant in the room, the pandemic. So so I guess a lot of the uh, the speculation is whether Horror Nights is even going to happen this year. Um, and I know we were talking earlier before recording. Uh, today is May 21st. So today, as of this recording... Universal has officially announced that they're reopening, uh, soft opening on the 1st of June, and then officially opening the public on the 5th. So uh, I think we're seeing some, like, testing, like, probing grounds, but this also could just, like, you know, be incentive to shut down later, you know, um, for the second spike happens. So I'm still not 100% positive about the future of Horror Nights. Well, great. Dakota pointed out the date we're recording, so now people are really going to know how long I take to edit these episodes. Well, it's partly to to shit on bad fandom ideas and partly to just shame you as a creator. Yeah, that's true. And also just, you know, open with the worst possibility, which is that uh, Horror Nights won't even happen at all. Yeah, welcome to the interview, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dakota. You're going to love him. We're going to talk all about how Horror Nights might not happen. Here we go. But I guess the the big question is, well, people are saying, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of people are saying, well, if the worst comes to worst, you know, me personally, I'd rather go to a, a full event next year than a little half event this year. So I'd say just keep all the haunted houses up and we'll just do it next year. And I mean, that creates a problem. And I think a lot of fans don't necessarily understand the way the event is built and like the legality of how certain things work. Um, Haunted houses are legally considered a temporary structure. So even if like there's, it's a lovely fantasy to think you could leave all 10 houses sitting until next year and then well, all the work's done. But the reality is they'll all have to be torn down and then they'll have to start construction again come spring. Maybe they can get an extended permit for some of them, but then you also just have issues with licensing, um, you know, it's a big rumor right now that like Universal Monsters is returning or that Billie Eilish is returning. And those are both owned by Universal Studios. But then other rumors like Haunting of Hill House, that's Netflix, that contract might expire. Something like, if it's true, like Beetlejuice, that's Warner Brothers, that contract could expire. So you you still wouldn't necessarily have the same Halloween Horror Nights 30 that is planned for 2020 that would happen in 2021. So, you know, just another bummer, another nail in that kind of shitty coffin would they still call it 30 or would it be 31 if we jump if we skip a year wouldn't that be confusing the for 29 years so far the event correlates to the current year that you are and starting next year it's going to be off by one really odd forever (laughs) that would be i would not like that at all um that's the only problem you'd have with it is the numbering yeah only problem the event cannot happen i'm fine with that i just i want it to stick with these years okay that's it i need i need my pedantic numbering system that's right exactly um 
Yeah, uh, th- there's sort of a question that I have about all of this that I feel like is sort of getting swept under the rug because people are so focused on, well, what's the state going to do? What's the federal government going to do? Uh, when are movie theaters going to open again? That's when you'll know that Halloween Horror Nights is a f- surely going to open, but I think the thing they're kind of ignoring is, well, the nature of the event is intimate. I mean, these are structures designed to be claustrophobic. These are interactions with people that are designed to be up in your face, all of which is highly discouraged and highly uncomfortable right now. So even if, you know, best case scenario, everything's cleared up, clap our hands, we're ready to to walk into Horror Nights with no mask on, which is highly unlikely, um, even then... Is Horror Nights going to be adjusting some of the way in which this event is going to be run this year? You know, I think for all of the um, kind of like pessimistic side that we like just touched on, like I think there's still a lot of options that could make it happen. Um, scare zones, for example, like a lot of people are like, oh, well, you can't have characters running up in your faces. And that's possibly true, but you can have... A lot of like things we've already seen in scare zones, they've done elevated platforms and stages, especially on Hollywood Boulevard for years now. You can have characters on the streets without having them face to face with people. In haunted houses, that is like the most enclosed environment, but you can still if you have someone wearing a mask, they there is less of a chance of spreading an infection. We haven't even talked about whether we think guests are wearing masks, probably, but um I think there is ways in which uh, you're not going to see a lot of face characters this year. And if you do, they're going to be put in places that are out of the way of people. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think already in a little bit of what we've seen, uh, I'm not sure if you guys have spied it, but it's it's been all over Twitter, the pictures of the uh, Toothsome Chocolate Factory characters wearing masks. Absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, uh, that just I mean, gives you a little taste right there. You have a, a masked character and then a face character. Her, she's wearing a you know a face covering as well. So I think uh, that is what Halloween Horror Nights Thirty is going to look like. Now, before we get into speculation territory and into what you know, we're, we we got rid of the vegetables. Now we'll get to the dessert and we can start talking about like, ooh, what ifs, and let's think about this. Um, I know none of us are necessarily uh, excellent at judges of good taste, but how long would you say is enough time before there is any kind of medical-related haunted house? I was thinking about this today because Michael Bay is making a COVID movie. Oof. <laughs> like, I just, that's so tone deaf. Uh, uh, I think I, I would hope Horror Nights has at least some common sense to just know when something is tasteless or when you can start doing that. Maybe Michael Bay will change the scene and next year we're all, we'll all be ready to joke about this, but uh, I doubt it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the juice is not worth the squeeze on that. I think the most like, recent example was the the sequel to Dead Exposure, which 100% opened with a treatment center, a mobile treatment center that had been set up with bodies lying on respirators. I mean, I can't even think of anything more precisely on the nose for what we're going through right now and something that would just absolutely, I mean, that house would be shut down night one. No, for sure. I, um... I don't even know that it would be. I just don't see it making it past the drawing board. I see a, I see a higher up saying like, "Are you kidding me? <laughs> this is, this isn't gonna fly anymore." 
Um, I don't know if zombies have a place at Horror Nights right now. I think uh, I think a lot of things are in question about what's... I mean, you look at, um, what, 2001, right after the 9-11 attacks. They had, like, two weeks to completely change the event. Every reference of gore. I mean, this is, like, well-known, like, Horror Nights history. But the face of that event had to completely change. And they've had a lot more time. I mean, COVID is happening, you know, the early half of the year going into Horror Nights. Uh, but I... I think, uh, you know, the world has changed and so has uh, what is going to be deemed in good taste, especially when it comes to horror. Well, all right. So we had a little more vegetables there. We're still talking talking about just sad, sad, miserable existences. So let's talk about what, let's say, best case scenario. Hey, it's, it's happening and it's full bore and there's not it's not weird the cure was found zach and tn did it they found yay. the cure to COVID 19 yay let's line up and perform oral on them cool but <laughs> That's also best case scenario but also hey look at these haunted houses that are at this orlando attraction <laughs> all right fine that's secondary but still great so um i guess if we're looking specifically at uh there's been a lot of speculation maps put out by a lot of different people And uh, we've chosen to look specifically, and this is not new news, this was released, I think, uh, April 2nd, so not one of the newest maps, and yet uh, I'm under the impression from from what I've heard that uh, maybe one of the more accurate ones, so it's the one that I think that we should discuss here. So let's dive in. Okay. So I think we're talking about... uh, Might as well just start off with the one that has seemed to be on every speculation map since the beginning, and uh, I don't think has left a single speculation map, except for the joke ones, and that's Beetlejuice. Sold. Now, okay, so I want to be bitter, and I want to be like, oh, so Beetlejuice (laughs) Beetlejuice wasn't cool enough to keep around and like build Fast and the Furious around. We had to just bulldoze it to get rid of it, but it's cool enough to bring in for a haunted house. So I'm a little bitter on that, but <laughs> now it's nostalgia. I'm going to come in with a hot take that um, fast and the furious is a bad ride that replaced a bad show. Okay. Oh, <laughs> I, well, I was, I was puzzled at your hot at the beginning of that hot take of like, uh, here's a couple of fun facts for you. Water is wet. The sky is blue, and the Fast and the Furious ride sucks donkey balls. Like, I was like, yeah, that's not really that. But the fact that you're saying the Beetlejuice show was not worth keeping, that is a little spicy. What? So what? it's not really that I think the the show in concept is not worth keeping. It's that I think the show in its final years was just kind of had run its course and, like, really wasn't. It, it was kind of embarrassing to watch. Like every time we would go, we would make fun of like, oh, he's he said Charlie Sheen. That's comedy. Well, okay, he, yeah, not that wrong. is comedy, right? Clearly, it's like, oh, I got tiger blood in me, and it's like 2018, and that's like joke is from the, what, like 2013. The show just didn't, it fundamentally didn't work anymore. So I, I mourn the lack of Beetlejuice as a permanent presence in the park. I mm-hmm. just don't mourn what we actually physically lost. Like, but um, this haunted house, uh, this is something I have wanted for years and years and years. So and let me ask this. So this feels, so if we go with Beetlejuice and it's just like the movie, um, that sounds like it's probably going to be 
somewhere along the same lines as like the Ghostbusters house from last year, where it's not necessarily poop your pants scary. It's more of just, oh my God, I'm in the movie. So my question is, does the group think that's the future? That like, we'll have one house that's not necessarily scary, but is just a, hey, here's an awesome horror adjacent kind of movie that you're just going to go through the best of scenes. And also, why can't that be a year-round attraction? (laughs) Yes to both. (laughs) But um, yes, in that I think um, Horror Nights is expanding its demographic. Mm -hmm. Um, They did that. They've been, they really started doing this, I'd say back as far as about 2013. I feel like American Werewolf in London was kind of the start of this, like, we're going to make sure we're appealing to not only like a modern property with like something like evil dead, but we also want to do American werewolf and appeal to a, uh, like just try to reach a broader appeal. And then they've kind of widened that with like popular shows with like walking dead and then stranger things. Now um, with a younger audience, like stranger things, you also have this like uh, younger attendees who I don't, I don't necessarily support the idea. I don't think the event needs to be less scary, but I do think um, something like Beetlejuice, just it's, it's a different flavor in the pot. You know, it's one additional uh, diverse thing that it feels completely different than its variety. I don't know. I, I have no problem with there being a funny house. There's always been a funny house. It's not a new thing. They were just, they didn't used to be based on an actual property. Hmm. So I guess uh, to kind of play off of that question, then uh, what I would wonder is, do you foresee there being a future in which this one, uh, I mean, call it the funny house, call it the uh, the movie tie-in house, whatever you want to call it, is there a future in which we see it become so um, sort of on the verge of horror? Sort of like Ghostbusters, Beetlejuice more so, but um, but but so on the verge of horror that it can hardly be classified as that anymore. Where you're seeing movies that just like The Goonies would be a good example for me, I think, where it's like it's a beloved cult movie, doesn't really have very much to do with horror at all. Do we think that's the sort of thing that eventually this is going to lead to? I mean, I think I I would hope not. I think there there just has to be that like. It has to be marketable with that word Halloween Horror Nights. Like, I think that's the, those, those first two words are pretty essential components of what you're expecting from the brand. Um, and I think Beetlejuice, you know, we think this is a reaction to Ghostbusters last year, but I would even say it's a reaction to Poltergeist two years ago. Poltergeist is not a scary movie. It's kind of scary, but it's, it's, you know, it's a PG movie. Mm-hmm. And um, I think Beetlejuice is, the logical progression from there, from Ghostbusters to here. Side um, note: While we're talking about old horror nights, did you guys see that there the 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 Burger King style glasses that they sold for? Oh horror my nights? god! Yes, I yeah. did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you see that, Zach? Uh, yes, and I became painfully erect. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. So, well, here's the thing, though: is I feel like the the structure of the house is what's ultimately mo- most important because. Even in, like, the Ghostbusters house, you know, uh, Winston at the end saying, I love this town, inherently not a horror moment or a scary moment. But when he whips around the corner and yells it at you and you go, oh, Jesus, like, it's still, so even the Goonies 
it's still, you could still have stuff be scary and still jump and startle you. Yeah, much um, like at your Hello Scream audition when you jumped out and said, get your prostate checked. Exactly. It's informative as well as scary. But point being, um, I don't know, man. I, I, I think if they were going to go in directions of cult movies and not strictly just horror films, at that point, I say just open up a year-round section. Just do that. Just go, hey, it's Ghostbusters all the time. Just go in there. Or it's, you know, we're rotating out different movies, blah, blah, blah. Here's a photo op at the end. Um, Almost like there's a theme park opening in three to four years with a horror section. Exactly. That would that would be so cool if that were to happen. That would be crazy. And I hope that they would put and, all of their effort into that, knowing how well it would be received and not focus purely on something like How to Train Your Dragon, which has not put out a good movie in several years. But that said, um, I think that, that what Zach is saying, I mean, Universal's aware of that because they have to be. I mean, they they opened the original Stranger Things haunted house during the day for one final day after the event closed, realizing full well that people would enjoy going through it even during the day at Daytime Universal. And obviously Hollywood knows that as well with their Walking Dead attraction and with the House of Horrors. It's fact. I um I think. I, I think it it's, it goes without saying that you're going to see a house like this every single year. I think um, if not a house, you'll see it in the streets or they will pick something that has a little bit of a lighter appeal. I think uh, the Chucky house back in like 2009 really fits this bill and uh, and its scare zone a couple years ago. I think the um, I think something like Gremlins would make sense. Uh, I've heard people like that was on that was on one of the speculation maps a couple months ago. Yeah. I don't know how I would feel about it as a house, but uh, I think I think it could fit the same kind of uh, campy, silly, irreverent, and a little bit spooky kind of vibe. I was gonna say, and they did a Krampus house too one year, and that's, that's true. yeah, but it was trash. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about that then. Let's uh, let's let's get into I guess other further uh, houses that are projected and whether or not they will be trash. Okay, so uh, moving past Beetlejuice here, which we, we spend a lot of time, uh, I guess just to, before we move completely past Beetlejuice, I feel like the fun thing to talk about here with a spec map is what's going to be in the house and not just like Universal Stupid, which is what we talked about for, you know, since we brought up Beetlejuice. So let's God, actually... I so bad. I actually like Horror Nights, I swear. <laughs> So, um, so I mean, to talk about what would be inside of a Beetlejuice house, I mean, I think the reason why so many people have fantasized about that is because of the iconography and because of how iconic some of those scenes are and to be within them. So we're talking like the miniature town that Adam built. We're talking, uh, of course, the attic and a lot of the Dietz's house. We're talking um, Dante's Inferno, which is the strip club that uh, the caseworker makes in order to distract Beetlejuice. I mean, do we think these are all scenes that would make it into the house? I think yes, but I think the most important thing is I want a giant sandworm puppet coming through the ceiling. Oh, that'd be awesome. I want to get eaten by it. Yeah, I want it I want it to be an above scare that blasts through the ceiling and I like I don't know if I don't know how, if your listeners how long they've been going to this event, but back in like 2011 there was a thing haunted house. It was mm-hmm. the remake or the reboot. Uh, and there was this big ass alien that would come through the ceiling and I'm like, I want that again, but I want it 
to be the sandworm from Beetlejuice. <laughs> that Thing remake, Haunted House, honestly gets slept on because people always talk about the Thing House in 2007 and that thing house in 2011 gets slept on because 2011 was such a great year and for houses at least that you you just you know something had to be the worst house but none of them were bad so Um, let let me ask this most likely to least likely in terms of character who will jump out of a corner and spook you in the beetlejuice house i'm going to give you three options (laughs) i want you to list them most likely to least likely okay all right Miss Argentina from The Waiting Room. Okay. Old man from the beginning who says that there was a man with hair down to his goddamn back. <laughs> all right, all right. And he said, just trim it a little. Otho's suicidal uh, girlfriend. Um. All right. You know, I'm going to say least likely Otho's girlfriend. Okay. All right. <laughs> Over we're, the we're old man from the beginning. We're, yeah, yeah. We're a socially conscious universal. And we don't talk about suicide in theme parks. Well, it's dreary, according to Otho. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I just I, I just want to see... Just trim it a little. That would be great. And, uh, <laughs> if he's in the very beginning when you first walk up. Yeah, no, he's he's actually... He's outside of the, the door. He's in his chair. There you it's go. It's like a big soundstage door. It's not even themed. He just sits there and he just kind of rambles at guests. That'd be pretty sweet. I feel like we could play that same game with audio lines from the movie played in the house. Like, for instance, Deliver Me from L.L. Bean. Or possibly, Who Am I Kidding? Oh, you can't even change a car tire. Like, do we think yeah. any of those lines are going to be played? Or I think so, for sure. I'm really hoping, like, uh, there's a, like, This is my art and it is dangerous. Like, I want to get attacked by one of those things. That'd be pretty great. Very badly. Um... I'm wondering, I mean, because some of the more iconic scenes in the movie are musical related. And by the way, do we think that there's going to be uh, a tie into the Broadway show in the Haunted House? I hope so. If there is, I think it'll be like a, like a, you know, something kind of minuscule, like a Easter egg. I hope that it's just an entire number, that they just perform a whole song in the middle of the Haunted House and they make you sit down and just listen to the whole thing. <laughs> I think I, if, if there is a song in the Haunted House, it's going to be Deo and it's going to be the shrimp hand scene. Right. Sure. Yeah, but, but, but like being that some of the, in all seriousness, being that some of the more iconic scenes in that movie are musical and basically not scary at all i'm wondering if they are going to include them knowing that like are you gonna have people dancing today are you gonna have um lydia's dance number at the end of the movie on the staircase i could even see um like Catherine o'hara with the day as like an audio trigger oh that's true like right before that room yeah i could definitely see now that. i was gonna say here's my question and and then we can move on <laughs> do you think that the house is going to actually frame Beetlejuice as a character like he is in the movie because pop culturally Beetlejuice is like oh he's like this mischievous ghostly scamp but in the movie he is an asshole and may or may not be trying to get with an underaged Winona Ryder in the movie he is unquestionably the antagonist of the film right (laughs) um but like even in the stage show and in the cartoon, he's been softened up over time. Like he's he's it's still perverted. I'd say there's an element of like, ah, this is the only uh, walk around face character at Universal that might grab your tit, and you'd be like, ah, oh, <laughs> Beetlejuice. <laughs> That's what it says when you're signing the paperwork to play 
Beetlejuice as the walk around <laughs> character. You're the only walk around character who may grab someone's tit. Like, oh, okay, that's good. Uh, no, I, I don't think, uh, I, honestly, I don't think Universal is thinking about the character development of their scare actors. Yeah, well, that's fair. That's fair. All right, so uh, moving on with this speculation map. So uh, another one that I feel uh, probably has not been removed from a spingle, a spingle, a single spec map um, uh, that we've seen here uh, is going to be the Haunting of Hill House. I think it's, it's like a, it's, it seems like an obvious one, like a, there's no Stranger Things this year, and there is a standing Netflix arrangement, so this is the thing you promote. It, because the world's on fire, and, like, everything is constantly moving forward, like, uh, Haunting of Hill House was in, like, 2018, right? That's when it hit Netflix? Yes. And it was huge. It was gigantic. Everyone was like, oh, my God, this show's actually scary. But it's, now it's two years old? I don't know if... It makes perfect sense in terms of, like, that is such an easy thing to convert into a haunted house. Like, you couldn't ask for anything easier. So I think it's well, got there's... the potential of being a great house, but I don't know if people would see that listed, like, on the, the park map of, like, by the way, the Haunting of Hill House house is over here, and people are going to be like, oh, shit, we got to do that first. I feel like they're going to be like, oh, yeah, that was a thing. I think this is going to be the one that, like, the general public goes, oh, that's going to be the scary one. Oh, that's Because true. that's their, their frame of reference. They're going to see Beetlejuice and think that's going to be fun. They're going to see Billie Eilish and think that's going to be weird. They're going to see Haunting of Hill House and they're going to be like, I remember that was scary. Or that, or they're going to, I mean, and also there's going to be the recency of, like, Haunting of Bly Manor, which is the uh, sequel series. Because mm-hmm. it's an anthology series. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, and, and, and clearly they're familiar with doing that, being, you know, having done the American Horror Story uh, haunted houses there. So, makes sense, and it could be that unless this is a massive failure for them as a haunted house, that they are absolutely planning on doing a Bly Manor uh, house the following year. So, very, very possible. I think, um, I think the discussion I keep seeing in regards to Hill House is people being like, oh, well, the show isn't that scary, you know? It's like, there's scary stuff happening in the background, and it's like, that's true, but in the context of a haunted house, I mean, like, I'm not interested in the family drama that's the core of this series for a haunted house. I'm interested in the ghosts, and the ghosts are going to be the star of this house. That's just what it's going to be. Right. Each, I would imagine there are so many ghost designs in this house. It's just countless fodder for character design, for boost, for jump scares. I, I think it's a um, it's a it's a house that's not necessarily going to fit the tone of maybe the show but i think it's going to feel yeah like it's of that world yeah well, yeah. and i it's... think I, I think of all the 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 subjects that we've talked about thus far like i said i think it's the one that lends itself so easily that it's it's not so much a like oh we got to figure out how to fit this uh you know square peg into a into a circle hole i think it's more of like a they could just go down the list like using this ghost using this ghost this ghost is going to be exactly. an easy scare this ghost this ghost this ghost yeah, you pick a bunch of pretty rooms from the from the show, and you pick the coolest looking ghosts, and you you have a haunted house. This is a very yeah. simple one one transition there. Easy formula, and I think it's a stupid argument for anyone to come forward and be like, "Oh, the show is mainly a drama, mainly a family drama." Okay, yeah, but you didn't see like a lot of the kids just hanging out, having fun in Stranger Things, or any of the like you know, romance and Crimson Peak. I mean, but those are still heavy yeah. elements of those IPs. True. Eleven and and uh and 
Mike's breakup is like half of season three of Stranger Things, and that's not in the house. I don't, you don't need to worry about it. <laughs> um, so I guess to cover really quick things we can probably assume are going to be in there, uh, the bent neck woman, uh, the tall man in the bowler hats. Um, I'm trying to think of the other ghosts. Uh, that's because most of them were in the background. <laughs> true. That's true. I, I think uh, that super confusing ending in that red room there you go yeah go full twin peaks with it yeah yeah no absolutely no i i I have high hopes for this house for sure um so i guess dakota had mentioned it and i appreciate that mr ghost holy ghost of the future um but uh this is the big punching bag this year billy eilish supposedly as a haunted house at halloween horror nights 30 my gut reaction was just like this is stupid but i mean like I had time to process it. Um, the current rumor is that she's just doing music for the the uh, Bride of Frankenstein rumored house. I don't think that's true. I think she really is. Um, <laughs> I think I, I would I would assume it really is a Billie Eilish house. Uh, we've seen musicians get treated at uh, Horror Nights before. Last year we had a Rob Zombie scare zone, and it was visuals from his music and from his music videos and his performances translated into a sort of I wouldn't say a story, but like an aesthetic. Um, I think we can expect that. I think we can expect some experimentation here, maybe an original story, maybe new music from her for it. Um, Is it what I would ask for? Not really, but I I, I think this could be a really unique house or it'll at least be something that we can skip every night. Well, here's here's my thought. This would be my pitch for it. Okay, you're going to do a Billie Eilish house. You focus it. It's the first... Haunted house in the theme park's history that has an age limit to it. You cannot go through the Billie Eilish haunted house unless you're over 30. And the reason is the entirety of the fucking attraction is weird images from her music videos. And instead of the character actors, like, jumping out at you and going boo and you go ah i'm startled they just look at you dead in the eye and they go you're fucking old you don't get this this is for young people it's just audio triggers that are like okay boomer exactly exactly because mm-hmm. here's that the thing terrifying when i watched the 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 video for bad guy the first time and there's this the moment where like there's the guy in like a suit and she's just kind of over him, just like dumping milk in his mouth. I'm like, that is a nightmare to me because it's like <laughs> young, angry teenagers. And I don't know what the fuck is going on. And I feel like I'm going to get murdered or go to jail. That's probably precisely. I think both of those things is going to happen. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think that's really, really too easy to like sit back and just say like, what a stupid idea. Horror nights is dead because that's what everybody is doing. And the last thing we'd want to do is be confused for all of the over 30 late twenties, early thirties, angry, fat horror nights fans who just say like, this is dumb. Where's the new icon? Obviously we should have enough. If of it, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If that's the reaction, if I'm universal, I'm going to lean into that 110%. What's oh, the new icon? <laughs> the new icon is Billie Eilish. Actually, there's going to be a parade about her. There's going to be a fucking, a water show about it. Uh, that's the new icon. Oh, I mean, you say that's that as a joke. 
the uh, the water show is uh, is a pretty persistent rumor this year, actually. Good, excellent. I want her to be the icon, and then I want her like icon catchphrase to be, "Hey, Jack the Clown sucked" or something like that. Yeah, I love that. She's uh, like wiping her ass with like old Halloween horns. Exactly. Perfect, exactly. Yeah. We just That's- we just burn it all. <laughs> that's the map this year is it's very meta that the map cover is her wiping her ass with old horror nights maps exactly. it's, an old, it's a halloween horror nights 17 map with billy eilish's <laughs> shit all over it no they should just have the commercial be exactly idea. like the 17 commercial where it's like the guy walks up to the carnival he takes a long drink of coca-cola like a yes. long drink yeah, like too long on it. we can all agree then, too long. and then he walks in and and there's a fortune teller there that like you know beckons with a finger they're they're shrouded in darkness and then they lay down three tarot cards and each of them has billy eilish's face on it and they look up and they go so what's my future and billy eilish slams her fist down on the table and leans forward and says jack the clown sucks and that's the, the end of the no, commercial she, no she puts the cards down and she says you don't have one and then it says halloween horror nights 30 is canceled there you go <laughs> <laughs> can, can, each, can each of the uh can each of the tarot card be like a traditional icon is is in the background and she's just making like a rolly eye like jerk off hand motion in front of it like <laughs> yeah like it's the director and she's just like Ugh, what is this you know what like this this sucks is you know this movie in should... black and white because i don't want to see it if it is you know what they should do is just take every icon but put them in a giant oversized billy eilish like bright green sweater <laughs> Yeah, with and a, have uh, them like all a, the storyteller in a bucket hat. There you go with with really <laughs> weird hands. shaped sunglasses. Wait, did we say we were or we're not going to shit on this idea? I forget. <laughs> shit on? Are you kidding me? What is the Glenn Gary Glenn Ross sales pitches of Billie Eilish? What are you talking about? <laughs> on, on God, though, the more I've shit on this house, the more absolutely fascinated and excited I've become over it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so obviously, I mean, like we talked about uh, with Rob Zombie doing uh, sort of elements and visuals from his music videos, very good chance it's a lot of what you're going to see in here, uh, also similar to the Alice Cooper Haunted House that we got in a very terrible year of Horror Nights that we covered last segment here. Um, But uh, I think that there's also the potential of, because Billy has is a self-proclaimed big horror fan, and a self-proclaimed Horror Nights fan, that there's the possibility that they would uh, maybe be able to involve her somewhat, even if it's one email of saying, like, what would you put in a haunted house if you could put anything? And that way they can sort of say, you know, on the little pitch for the house, the little bump, like, oh, uh, including ideas designed by Billie Eilish herself or whatever. Well, supposedly she's actually a really big fan, but I think she's a fan of the Hollywood event, which, like, mm, well... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, that's enough shitting on Billie Eilish. So, uh, moving right along um, to sort of round out IPs here. So, rumored that we'll be getting another Texas Chainsaw Massacre house this year. I could not care less. (laughs) Here's the thing. They keep remaking them. They keep remaking Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies and bringing nothing to it. So, I think the houses should reflect that. That... I would love a house that was just that that really shitty one where it's like Renee Zellweger. And oh Matthew yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, that's uh, uh, that's four. And drag the Next whole time. generation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just Leatherface and drag like the whole fucking house, and they're I, just yelling at that. Leatherface. Like Leatherface doesn't even do anything. If, 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 if it was that movie, I would be so so pumped for this. But it's 
I don't give a fuck. No, <laughs> I think they just copy the movies and they just keep literally reusing the assets from the last time they did a Texas Chainsaw Massacre house. So it's like, well, this this Leatherface used to be in a suit and tie, but we lost the original dress shirt. So now it's just sort of like a suit jacket that doesn't fit great and like kind of a half of a necktie and like the mask, but not the wig because the wig got used for something else. And it's just like, and, and the sets aren't quite built fully. And it's just sort of like, ah, it's still, it's still it though. It's still it though. And then it's just I a could, Ar, an Arlie Ermy, just kind of like a photo of him. Cause I can't they, I can, like maybe fuck with this idea in like a, did, I don't know if you saw the year, uh, what the, what's the last time we had a uh, Texas chainsaw in Orlando, like 2016, 2016 right? that, yeah. So that same year, Hollywood also did a Texas chainsaw house, but theirs was Texas chainsaw two. And it was like colorful and ridiculous, which Texas Chainsaw 2 is colorful and ridiculous. Yes. And what I would give if we were doing that, which maybe we are, you know, I, I don't know. I, but like just I've kind of had my fill of this. It's not my favorite horror franchise by any means. Not my favorite slasher. I, I, <laughs> I don't have a lot to say about it, but I would fuck heavily if they uh they went full ridiculous with this. Is there a new property coming out? Like, why are they doing this? I, <laughs> I think there was an. I think there was another remake a couple of years ago. I think. Oh, good. It's been it's been hankering for one. Right. Um, I feel like the real question is why aren't they doing something that's relevant this year? There's Halloween Kills comes out this year. Candyman comes out this year. Why the fuck are we doing Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Universal owns Halloween and Candyman. Or do they own Candyman? Maybe they don't. No, they might. I mean, I mean, I think, uh, Candyman yeah. makes the most sense. It showed up on a lot of spec maps, and I wouldn't be shocked if we saw a Candyman house, because the fact of the matter is, they just had a relationship with Jordan Peele last year with us, and um, it's, a re- it's a classic cult horror movie, which we've seen a lot of recently at Horror Nights, and it's coming out this year. Hopefully. <laughs> Like, I get maybe we don't want to do another Halloween house just because they've kind of run Michael Myers into the ground. Um, but I feel like everyone wanted the the 2017, 2018, whatever year it was, Halloween house. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, three people not really super stoked about a new Leatherface house. But uh, <laughs> anyhow, um, so Theme Park University claims that the next house we're going to see is going to be uh, Blumhouse's Invisible Man. I sort of have my doubts. Well, well, honestly, though, I think what they're really going to do is they're going to put it on the map and be like, the Invisible Man is in every scare zone. He's right behind you the oh whole boy. time. Oh, boy. I didn't see this movie. <laughs> movie theaters closed, and I didn't want to pay $20 to watch it on my couch. I saw it, and even I couldn't see him. So, okay. oh. How dare you? Well, since, like, no one's watched it, it's going to be... Uh... No, I, I have actually seen it, and but the, there's two problems with it. Okay, the obvious one is it's an invisible man. Um, the other problem with it is that a lot of the settings are nice, upscale urban homes, a lot of which we saw in Us last year, so I don't know that the setting would be particularly interesting either. So I sort of just have my doubts based on those two I points. find it interesting... That you've pointed to the uh, the difficulties or the obstacles of said house um, are the the uh, the window dressing and the effect itself. Um, for me, the obstacle would be 
oh boy, oh boy, it's going to be real tricky to make a jump scare out of uh, Elizabeth Moss getting the shit beat out of her by her abusive boyfriend for the entire first act of the film. <laughs> That's going to be real tricky when it's like, booga booga, ah, Elizabeth Moss, I'm running away from my abusive partner. Please drive. <laughs> Oops, you didn't. I'm getting dragged back in the house. See, not actually, the Invisible Man is the perfect post-COVID haunted house because you don't staff anyone. That's you true. You just have sound and light effects. Okay. And just like yeah. kind of shit falling off a shelf or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. there's There is not a single character in the house. <laughs> I was actually going to ask about with the, the Haunting of Hill House uh, attraction. Uh, I keep wanting to say Haunting of Hill House house, and then I want to punch myself in the face. Could you do a background ghost scare in that? Like if you just walk into a big room and there's just nothing there and you're like, what the fuck? And then in the background, you just see someone step out and you're like, oh, Jesus. I feel like if anything, maybe like if I'm like not dicking around and joking around, I I think maybe you have like mannequins that are in the background of sets that are dressed to be hidden and maybe like for repeat visitors. But I, I think for the most part, it is like gonna be face-to-face like your you know your audio and light triggered like actor triggered scare yeah so uh, according to this spec map that's it for the ips kind of um because the one that we're going to talk about to sort of segue into the originals is one that's kind of right teetering on the edge which is uh another universal monsters house um so you know it's kind of an IP, but at the same time, they sort of write them as original houses. Um, and this one is supposedly going to be Bride of Frankenstein versus Bride of Dracula. Bride versus Bride. I fuck with it. I um, I think monsters should be at the event every year until the until Epic Universe opens. I think there I is enough content to do that. a monster house, a different monster house that feels unique every year. I see no reason to stop that train from rolling. So... I will speak on behalf of uh, other film fans that I know who uh, champion for Bride of Frankenstein because uh, for being such an icon in horror, she's in like three minutes of her own movie. So in this case, I'm already thrilled at the prospect of we're doing something with this character because there isn't. Uh, that's why every piece of merchandise about the bride has is one of three poses because yeah. that's all there was in the movie. So I'm already on board with this potential idea. Um, as an aside, I also love the um, extended family universe of Universal Monsters. I want like, you know, Frankenstein Jr. versus like Cousin Werewolf. I think that would be kick-ass. And yeah, I fuck with it entirely. I um, there's a precedent already. I mean, Hollywood did a Frankenstein versus the Wolfman house last year. I uh, I would love to see this progress to where maybe the year before, if it's like Epic Universe is opening in May or whatever, maybe in October, the house itself is a prequel to the story for the land. That would be awesome. Like just uh, I don't know. That's that's my fantasy. I would really, really be down for that, you know, that sort of storytelling. I'm not sure that they have the foresight or that they think people would care enough, but... I don't uh, think they would. I don't think people would necessarily care. I think it's... I mean, like, no one gives a fuck about the the story in a theme park land, except, I don't know, neckbeards like me who are like, 
oh yeah well the sea at the disney parks is like you know but i would fuck with that so we can blast through some of these uh originals but supposedly we're getting three originals uh this year called uh earthquake or these are obviously not yeah i was like tentatively called yeah tentatively called earthquake pumpkin king and victorian tooth fairy um earthquake is just described as there's an earthquake and it's unsettled the undead and they're rising up through the cracks it's Um, actually they've completely uh rebuilt the interior of fast and the furious and it's just the old earthquake ride that would be great and it's just the same weirdly long intro by charlton heston on the screen where he's just kind of generally lost and just kind of keeps like like where's Where's the technical assistant? They're like, oh, I'm right here, Mr. Hester. The horror comes, though, when both The Rock and Christopher Walken show up in character form. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Uh, I really want the first third of this haunted house to be just you're unwillingly pulled up onto the stage and put into like a... Uh, a helmet and like dropped in a big vat and you have to film something on a green screen. Okay. Yeah, pretty great. That would be really actually, scary. It's not, it's not actually an earthquake theme at all. That's just one scene. It's entirely uh, old attractions that used to be at universal. There you go. Uh, and it's a, uh, but it's, it's not done in like a reverent kind of way. It's, it's just Billie Eilish telling you, Oh, did you like back to the future? Well, go fuck that yourself. That sucked. That was stupid. Go get on The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, yeah, I, oh, you liked. Oh, you liked Twister. Wow. Yeah. What are you, Helen? What are you, Helen Hunt? That sucks. Um. Yeah. That wait, you sucks. Thought, you thought that Jaws was a better ride than Gringotts? Kill yourself. Exactly. <laughs> um. Of these, of these tentative names, Earthquake, Victor- Victorian Tooth Fairy, and Pumpkin King, rate most fuckable to least fuckable. Pumpkin King sounds like he's got a huge dickhead. There you go. It's just a big pumpkin. Earthquake, yeah. clearly a fat guy. Victorian Tooth Fairy, terrible name. Well, it's first of all, it's offensive to queer people. Right? Um, yeah, that's true. Who, it's not the Tooth Fairy's fault that he doesn't know how to not use so much teeth. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Do you, but do you think the Pumpkin King would, like, come Pumpkin Guts? Okay, this Just, is... Like, whole seeds? I know like... I started this, but I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, you know, I... Uh, totally unprompted, I did this. But also, ew, you guys are gross. <laughs> also, as an aside, <laughs> no likey. Um... No, but I, I just think Victorian Tooth Fairy just sucks as a name. That would be like, you know... It just seems very cut and dry. So I'm sure it'll be Tooth Fairy. Blah, blah, what? Do you remember Darkness Falls? Yes. Is that what this is? God, I hope so. Because that movie is awful. Yeah. Didn't we hear a rumor last year that that that, that whatever became us was supposed to be like some kind of Tooth was, Fairy this, house? Yeah, this, this house is actually like was rumored heavily last year. I think it's been leaked. I think we're allowed to talk about it uh, a little bit. But it was, like, basically fully cast. They had cast a lot of the characters who would be playing Tooth Fairies. And then they were all given the call that, like, actually you're being put on standby. You're going to be given either, like, doubled up on other roles. You're going to be recast because... We're going to put you in a red jumpsuit. 
Well, uh, if if you can be put in a red jumpsuit. So, despite the name, uh, Tooth Fairy um, in olden times, I don't know, I guess it's okay. It doesn't really move the needle for me. Um, I mean, I would imagine you're going to expect teeth horror. Yeah, probably. You know? That's a that's a common thing for people. Uh, Victorian, like I would imagine, old house. The other um, the other name that's floating around for this house is called Bedtime Stories. Is on the uh, the Horror Night Nightmares map, and um, it's kind of people are assuming it's going to be more like classic spooky haunted house kind of thing, and you can kind of imagine maybe like creepy tooth fairy ripping your teeth out kind of aesthetic. Am I crazy or what was what was dead time stories? Dead time I don't what? Yeah, he's right. That was um from forever ago. I remember actually being at that at that year. Either uh, maybe it wasn't was that, Halloween was that Hollow Scream. I think that was Hollow Scream with that Jack in the Box maybe, thing. Maybe it was something else. Maybe it's a movie. I don't even know. Uh but I feel like I've heard it before. Okay, regardless. Um so <laughs> um yeah, I, 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 and then to kind of, well, we didn't really talk about Pumpkin King. Uh, if it's not Jack Skellington but... from the opening musical number, get it the fuck out of here. <laughs> what, what, what more can be said there about that? I would imagine it's probably the aesthetic of that Scarecrow house from a couple years ago. And uh, the That's fair. pumpkin hallway that is so popular in uh, in Central Park. Knott's Berry Farm did also do they like did. a pumpkin house where it's like you're inside of a pumpkin. I hated and it. So that could be. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I hated it. There was beautiful um, houses Knott's, but that was not one of my favorites. Well, yeah, fair enough. Um, you preferred the alien house, of course. No, no. Or not the Lovecraft <laughs> one either. The one with the flashlights. And oh, the... I love the Lovecraft one, actually. The one that was like mining. That was cool. Oh, I like that laser room. <laughs> yeah, well, fair enough. Um, okay, well, let's round out the originals with uh, the thing that's going to make all the fanboys uh, come out of their their quarantine holes to come to Halloween Horror Nights Theory, which is supposedly we are getting an Icons house. Uh, they write right here on Theme Park University. They say, that's right, Jack, the storyteller, the director, the usher, they will all, okay, no love for the caretaker, nope. fair enough. They'll all share a house together at Halloween Horror Nights 30. I think this sounds correct. I think, uh, you know, every... Every anniversary year needs its big anniversary house. This is not actually the only rumored anniversary house, but it's the only one they have on this map. There's, uh, but we'll talk about that later. Well, so I think we can all agree the ending of this house needs to be they all bow down and worship the newest icon, <laughs> Billie Eilish. Of course. Um, She's going to be in that big throne from the end of Hades there that you no go. one was sitting in. That's perfect. So you gotta put somebody there. Maybe that's why they kept it empty, is, is that they had a little tiny sign in the original Hades house that said reserved for Billie Eilish. How old was Billie Eilish was probably in 2010? 12. Uh, like eight? Uh, yeah, I was gonna eight say probably uh, uh, there's a there's a really excellent moment from the red carpet of the Oscars last year where they're like, Billie Eilish, we know you love horror movies. Like, what's your favorite one? And she goes, oh, I love the ones from when I was growing up, like The Babadook. Oh, boy. <laughs> so that just really kind of well, again, puts everything Well, again, to go back to my pitch about the Billie Eilish house, if you aren't over 30 and freaked out, if you're like over 30 and you're like, yeah, I'm into it. Then the characters look at you dead in the eye and go, the police are already on their way. And you're like, oh, God. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. They go, they go, we know that you Googled Billie Eilish's vacation that she took after she turned 18. Okay, we know. That's a very specific scare. Um. <laughs> wow. Um, okay, so uh, that's the speculation map. Now, I really wanted to round out this episode here with the Ghost of Halloween Horror Nights Future, uh, Dakota, by talking about kind of some of our dream houses, or maybe not even houses, maybe just things at Horror Nights, be they scares on shows, whatever. Um, yeah, I want to and... know what, in your opinion, Dakota, what elements make a great IP choice for a haunt? See, I don't think a uh, an IP necessarily needs to be a scene for scene recreation. I think in a lot of ways that creates uh, like a dissonance from like your experience. Like, uh, I think Stranger Things 1 is a great example of like a house that felt like you went on a journey because every scene logically flowed into the next one, where Stranger Things 2, you were in a hospital, then a forest, then a cabin, then underground. Um, I think uh, I think the houses that I remember the most strongly are the ones that take the IP and turn it into an original house. Um, Alien vs. Predator was a, an original story they created for the event, or The Thing Assimilation was an original story they created that was a sequel to The Thing. Um, you know, the same with, like... Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street back in like 20, 2007. It was it was a unique story where you were being given a sleep aid oh, that that's right. uh, yeah. allowed you to like walk through dreams and you were experiencing a hallucination. I think um I would love to see more of that. I think uh the just scene for scene I, I'm not excited by that. I I'm always I'm excited to be there and see the house. It's but it's not the thing. Those aren't, they don't necessarily leave an impression on me the way that like these unique experiences do. And mm-hmm. you can have a unique experience with an IP is I guess what I'm saying. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. So then back to TN's point, let's talk about potential dream scenarios uh, with, with this sort of caveat in place. Um, With that, I would love to see um, personally, I, th- I think everyone kind of feels the same way. I want to see it. I don't think that'll ever happen, but I, I want it at this event. I understand Stephen King doesn't like haunted houses. I understand Warner Brothers is picky, but I uh, I think you could have a lot of fun with uh, Pennywise fantasies that he creates, much the way that you can with like Freddy Krueger. I would love to see... Uh, Hellraiser, that's not an unpopular one either. I'd love to see Alien again. Um... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's an element of, like, the dream IPs that is just like, well, name your favorite horror movies. That's what you want to see. But what's crazy about Horror Nights, uh, lasting as long as it has now, is for a lot of people, you're kind of running out of your, like, top five horror movies. There were people who for years were like, God, I would kill to see like the shining at horror nights or the exorcist or American werewolf in London. And now it's like, people are just like, they're running out for me. It was evil dead. Like ever since silver screams, I was like, Oh, please give me an evil dead house. And now I'm like, okay, well I've gotten like three at this point. So I'm satisfied. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, for me, I mean, there's a lot of my favorite horror movies. I mean, things like, uh, Return of the Living Dead, you know, I, I think would make a really great haunted house. I mean, Zach, what what would be some of your top tier? Uh, clearly, uh, House. My mo- the Japanese. One? I was gonna say the Japanese. No, one. no, no. The the one with the weird uh, army zombie that says oh. you're really pissing me off. Um, All right. <laughs> uh, 
Um, probably like my mom's a werewolf. Uh, oh yes. No, actually, you please. know what? If I could, I would want. Um, it's the problem is it's not really like a typical horror house, but like to do like a they live, just with the visuals of that. Like you could have like here are the rooms where you're you've got the sunglasses on, and now it's all in black and white. Um, that might be interesting. All right. Yeah, I feel like we were having that discussion recently. We did. Actually. Yeah, we yeah. did talk about they live. Oh, Reanimator yeah. would be a big like boner. That's what I was, okay, I was yeah. giving you Reanimator because okay, I wanted to talk about how we, you know, there should be a scene. You're where right. You're like right. A... Blackenstein, it is. That would be the one <laughs> to really vampire girl versus Frankenstein girl. Yeah. Um, uh, robot no. versus Aztec mummy. That's really Manos, <laughs> the hands of fate. That's yes. the one I want. Is yes, Manos. yes, yes. Um, the room, the haunted house. That would okay, be fantastic. No. The house um, that no. dripped blood, I guess, and then Listen, was also reanimator. Sand. We all know that there has to be a scene where a, a headless body is molesting a girl's bare titties. That's true. That would be odd. To, that would be tricky to to put together. Not impossible, but it would be tricky. It would be tricky for sure. Um, okay, so since we've been shitting so much on uh, Billie Eilish, and again, I said we weren't going to, but look what happened. Um, I am curious, like, musical artists that we feel could translate into a haunted house. I was thinking about uh, one that I think actually would translate really well is you take the creative team behind the gorillas, Damien Alburn and Jamie Hewlett, and you make not necessarily a gorillas haunted house, but because those two are such a fantastic artistic team and they create not only great music, but like great visuals to go along with those. And they're so often horror inspired. I think they would design a really good haunted house if you worked with them. And then also I think Carpenter Brute, like uh, the synthwave artist, he just did the soundtrack for Blood Machines, which has a lot of the same like radioactive ultraviolet colors that some recent movies like Mandy and Color Out of Space have had. And I think that would lend really well to A Haunted House as well. So those would be two of my suggestions. I think the Billie Eilish thing has completely reframed like what we expect from a, uh, a music thing and what Horror Nights thinks of their audience as. Because like... Uh, for a long time, I've kind of viewed the uh, Horror Nights fandom as largely like dudes who wear heavy metal t-shirts and enjoy wrestling and horror and, Whoa. you know, yeah, I, I didn't mean to single you out, Zach. Thanks. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Can there but, be a um, TNA Impact Wrestling Haunted House? Could there you know, be a there WWF under, House? There an Undertaker Haunted House. Oh, okay. <laughs> but um no but i think now they're like okay well we did rob zombie but like now we have all these tweens who are coming from stranger things uh, and we need to like reassess the market of horror music and horror music is not really it's not metal anymore you know um i think something like kim petrus could be really exciting visually i think even lady gaga is you know she's been fucking around with horror for 10 years now um in the mainstream, I think could be really interesting and would have mass appeal while, while like being maybe something legitimately scary or at least like fucked up. Um, I think that is like a realistic direction after Billie Eilish. That makes sense. Plus the, uh, there was like, um, in the opening scare zone of last year where it was like all 
80s arcade. There was like a stilt walker who just kind of looked like early Lady Gaga. Like that was kind of the the look. Like all I ever hear people do is call that character Lady Gaga because it did. It did look like Lady Gaga. There you go. We all know that Lady Gaga is those tall aliens from Invasion. Okay. I think (laughs) Tenacious D would make a very interesting haunt. It's it's definitely the uh, the former the former market though. Right. It's the same. It would it would give very much the same energy as the uh, uh, this is the end haunted house in Hollywood. There you go. You know, I was thinking we were talking about like shitty horror movies that shouldn't be at Halloween Horror Nights. That they are not above a shitty horror movie. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. I mean, there was a Doomsday haunted house. So there was a Doom. I did the Doomsday haunted house. I did the this is the end haunted house. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess uh, maybe not necessarily IPs, but uh, I mean, uh, have you had any ideas for maybe original concepts or new things? Okay, well, let's let's hear a few. I love, I fucking love that for 25, they did a crossover house and it was, you know, Body Collectors Recollections was basically the long running psychoscarapy series, which is the mental asylum series of haunted houses and then the this other like tangent series body collectors which is like this society of basically the illuminati of like gore <laughs> and uh i love that they mashed it up into a single concept and i would love to see more mashup houses they don't have to necessarily borrow both titles but if you can take a location from a popular house if you could take like the cathedral from gothic and like tell another catacomb story or if you could take um one of my like big fantasies is i would love to see um back in the 90s a couple times they did double houses so you would have like the ss Frightanic and both you would go through like soundstage uh 24 i don't know if it was in 24 but this is where you'd probably do it now um and you would have a shared facade and two houses that enter on different ends of the facade and it's two completely unique experiences and i would love to see like a maybe a silver screams double feature and one half of it is all night die-in and it's like the director creating snuff films and the other half is maybe an hr blood and guts slaughter cinema kind of thing where it's scenes from made up shitty b horror movies and like i would love to just see that sort of the the full wet dream of uh of what a mashup could be okay i think that works out amazingly and, um, and in terms of scare zones, I mean, is there like a dream scare zone for you? Uh, so many. Um, I was thinking about uh, how the Central Park kind of zone always gets like relegated to pumpkins nowadays, or that's what people think of. It's only been a thing for like, I, I like maybe six years, like total. It's, it's not like the be all end all of that area. I would love to see the monsters put into that area or... I know this could never happen. I would love to see the London waterfront actually get used and take advantage mm. of of uh, that area. I know J.K. Rowling would never let it happen, but it's like, okay, I'm you own Grimma, like Grimald Place and the Night Bus. You don't own like Leicester Station or the, the Wyndham Theater, but okay, fine. But I would love to see like an American Werewolf in London scare zone back in uh, like 2015 or two, no 2005 there was this scare zone called cemetery mines and there were these uh these like guys on like fucking like four like like crawling stilts i would love to just see like 
something like American Werewolf, those puppet designs like incorporated into an outdoor environment. Plus, didn't Horror Nights in Japan did actually get the approval to do like Dementors and Death Eaters? They did. Uh, we um, we had we had Death Eaters last year. If you uh, if you went over to Islands of Adventure during a uh, like the uh, the the Dark Arts show, there were Death Eaters characters running around. Didn't get the chance to do that. Very sad. Did not did not either. But uh, it was a thing that happened. Well, um, um, this yeah. has been enlightening, honestly, and honestly, a nice reprieve from a lot of the spooks that we've gotten here from our our previous. I mean, should we call them guests on this segment, Zach? I mean, God, this has been so scary. All of this. Uh, I we could call them ghost hosts. That's true. It all that's full circle right there, baby. So, uh, future horror night ghost dakota uh, what's your favorite house of all time and what's your least favorite house of all time um okay uh well my least favorite house of all time is really easy uh it's probably it's a house from 2005 called cold blind terror um and it was just a piece of shit just black walls no decor just absolute piece of trash and my favorite house um You'll have to tune into my upcoming YouTube series Ooh. to find out. Uh, it's called The Horror Nights Gauntlet. You can find it on Instagram right now. Uh, just a little promo image, Horror Nights Gauntlet on on IG. But uh, hopefully by the end of the summer, we'll be ranking the impossible task of like 150 haunted houses. Well, good thing you're already that dead, because that would that would be impossible. Yeah, that that sounds like it would take a very long time. Well, yeah, it's, it's, okay. it might it might take long enough to make a weekly YouTube series. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> what a bump! What a plug! What a shill, as they say in Zach's industry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. Well, I mean, thank you, uh, Dakota. Or uh, should I call you Dakota, or is it the Ghost of Halloween Horror Nights Future? Is that like the proper title? Um, I, I respond to like, Hey bitch, you know? Oh, okay. Well, Hey bitch, thank you for showing us all of these, uh, sites, be they true or, or made up from the future. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you guys. Um, you know, my unfinished business here is kind of done, so I'm going to fuck off back to hell now. Oh, okay. But, um... You know, thank you for having me. Oh, okay. And there he goes, right in the hell mouth. Wow, that's amazing. Bye, future ghost bitch Dakota. Bye, bye Dakota, bitch. Okay, well, wow. All right, well, um, in case an over three-hour show was uh, not long enough here for you guys listening still, um, please check us out. Um, You can always find more episodes on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. Zach, anything you want to bump at the end of this massively oversized episode? No, I got to change my pants. This was real scary. Yeah, I also got to change mine. So, um... Thanks. Yeah, on behalf of all the ghosts and goblins here, he's been Tien Guignol. I'm Zach Romero. Thank you so much for listening and continue circulating the tapes. <laughs> <laughs>